This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This is how it's always been. I'm on the outside looking in. Welcome to Double Love, the podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. I'm Anna Carey. I'm Karen Moynihan. And Sweet Valley has never been so strange, listeners, as it is this week. Or rather, the lives of the characters, because we are leaving Sweet Valley. And we are travelling to what I gladly describe as a deranged parallel universe. I mean, are they time travelling? Are they in a cartoon? There are so many questions. (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to hearing... What our uh, our London resident listeners, of which I know we have a few, think mm. because we're heading to London Town, <laughs> and it is love and death in London. Fucking hell! Oh my god, <laughs> I'm so uh, excited. <laughs> and you know what? I mean. I think I realised that when we were, you know, we were obviously all very excited about the Margot era, including mm. me. But I think part of me was even more excited about these because <laughs> I just remember reading them back in the day and genuinely not being like feeling completely discombobulated. Like, <laughs> what is happening? Fair. <laughs> is this some sort of fever dream? Like, oh, my, like truly. I, I think you said it last time, but the wheels well and truly have come off. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like the rules are there are no rules. <laughs> really aren't characters are behaving in i don't even know if it's out of character it's just in an extremely eccentric fashion shall mm. we say mm-hmm. and um yeah we i mean the only characters that we know and love that we see in the in this book are the twins um because it's you know unlike some of the the previous books where like a character goes off somewhere like yeah. jessica in club paradise this is just, it's like a super special or something. It is. It's basically a three book long super edition, like. Including a familiar face. Oh my God. Like, there you go. It really, it it, it very much feels super edition vibes. And there's many reasons why, <laughs> including a recurring character that even though I feel like people had pointed this out to us back during the book in which this person first appeared. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still so surprised. I'd completely forgotten because honestly, oh, we, read, we read so many of these books one right <laughs> after the other. We couldn't possibly retain everything. Also, but, like, I, I think we just... read that particular book at the height of lockdown. Oh, yeah. When we were all a bit delirious, to be honest. So That's just those two years are basically a blur. Two years? Three years? <laughs> yes. Four years? Who knows? <laughs> Where I am I? Know. <laughs> Well, before we describe the cover, which believe you me, we will have a lot to say about. We will get started with the tagline and blurb. Karen, can you share the tagline, please? I would be only (laughs) delighted to. It is simply murder most foul. Oh, 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 no, Macbeth reference. Oh, no, hang on, Murder Most Fight with this Hamlet. Oh, it's, oh okay. Uh, well, oh, well, it's Shakespearean, very it appropriate is. because that... we are in England. I'll tell you, I, we're getting all the hits. Well, we're in some version of England, which, oh, <laughs> as you will see. Okay, here's the full blurb Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield are looking for trouble. Why? Why? <laughs> Given the year they've had. 
<laughs> you would think that is the last thing they would be looking for. You would be mistaken. <laughs> oh, you certainly would. Working as summer interns assigned the Scotland Yard beat. Mother of God. <laughs> for the London Journal. What a shoddy piece of work this wow. newspaper is. They're bored with all the petty cases they've been given. Cases. Cases. You are interns. You should be making photocopies and nothing else. <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, we'll get started on the, <laughs> the, uh, the internships later. Anyway, bear in mind as we continue this blurb that they have just four books ago narrowly escaped the clutches of a serial killer and also seen Jessica's boyfriend get murdered. Mm. Think of this throughout this book. <laughs> when a series of grisly murders breaks out, they decide to do some sleuthing of their own. You <laughs> think they've had enough murders, but no. Oh, they just can't get enough. <laughs> Elizabeth and Jessica discover that the murder victims look as if they've been attacked by a wild animal. Who or what could have committed such a beastly crime? <laughs> the detectives are baffled, but the twins, led by Luke, the quiet boy who is quickly, all too fucking quickly, finding a place in Elizabeth's heart, have their own suspicions. Will they find the murderer before he, or it, finds them? <laughs> The first title in a terrifying three-part miniseries. Elizabeth and oh, Jessica and Elizabeth have never been in so much danger. Well, I mean, not even when uh, their doppelganger was trying to kill one I of them. I mean, how quickly we forget. R.I.P. Margot. Fucking hell, justice for Margot. Oh, God, but not forgotten by us. <laughs> never. Clearly forgotten by everyone at Francine Pascal's uh, syndicate. <laughs> Honestly, it is like this book is so fucking weird. Like it truly feels like they have just lifted the twins out of the regular timeline, dropped them in Comedy London and it's like, right, off you go now for three books. Like it, these post 100 books are just bizarre. Oh, so bizarre. And I wish I could recapture the sense of genuine confusion <laughs> I felt when I read this back in the day, because it's I, I don't know if you have not read it, listeners, you cannot be prepared for how mad it is. You just can't. <laughs> you can try. You will fail. <laughs> and as I think we said last week, you might think we're making shit up in this, but we are not. Like, I, <laughs> we don't have to. No, it's true. Like, genuinely. And, you know, even if we were tasked with making up something for it, I don't think we'd come up with half the shit that is in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we could. Yeah. And I especially don't think we could come up with this cover. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'll let you come on. Describe it, please. Okay. <laughs> You're losing the ability to put sentences together. Um, I'm just looking at it, I'm laughing all over again. Oh God. Okay, so we have our <laughs> floating twin heads above the Sweet Valley High logo. All good and fine. Have been there now since <laughs> since book 100. They still look pretty much like the twins. Again, then there's these random women. Uh, otherwise on the cover and yeah it's the twins but at least you know what at least they're a bit more in proportion they don't look like they've had their head pasted on a body or like weird slender man limbs so we've got <sighs> the twins in these like shiny trench coats <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> at night in london um it's hilarious like it's they look about 40 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, they're like the worst private detective agency. It's <laughs> so conspicuous. It's the middle of summer and they are wearing leather trench leather coats. trench coats. So I'm not sh- like, you see, the one that looks more like Liz is holding a camera, but we've but Jessica is the one with the camera in this book. That's um, true. And even their hair color looks slightly different. Like the, the one in the brown trench coat, her hair is like a darker blonde. And then we've got the more bright like Wakefield blonde mm. uh, on the other twin who's in a kind of a navy uh, <laughs> navy leather trench coat uh, we can see like the Houses of Parliament Big Ben some lovely lampposts in the background it's all very atmospheric mm-hmm. um, they're looking very kind of worriedly off to the side um, <laughs> and, then, and then on the left hand side <laughs> we have a scene that does in fact take place in the book but you know even as you're reading it in the book I, I don't think it's even possible to picture <laughs> this um, so <laughs> this is meant to be Liz and Luke in <laughs> the wax museum because for yes. some reason the ghostwriters are fucking obsessed with wax museums all of a sudden <laughs> so again this girl looks nothing like Liz so it's just like random blonde girl wearing mm-hmm. like a skirt and a white t-shirt has a backpack she's like frightened and holding on to the arm of this boy in front of her who just looks like a fucking like stock picture of a nerd um, yes which is not how Luke is described he sounds like fucking Timothy Chalamet or something in the book yes, where he's describing he him does. it's very that isn't it like fucking Little Women version of Timothy Chalamet yes tousled black locks and... very yeah um, all that whereas this guy just has those kind of 90s curtains haircut he's wearing glasses which I don't think Luke wears or I don't think so either so he just looks like this real unlikely kind of nerdy guy Mm -hmm. uh, in like jeans inexplicable black shoes and a white t-shirt but really the piece de resistance of this particular vignette Um, has um, to be the wax figure that has frightened Elizabeth so uh, he's he's being held back by a velvet rope thankfully thankfully because I'm just going to say Liz is very easily properly scared oh my god she is such a baby but like it's <laughs> that's this... what my notes say repeatedly. <laughs> but like this wax work so it's <laughs> it's like the wolf man basically it's like a proper like 1930s universal monsters version of werewolf so it's a guy in like black trousers and this like huge open white shirt like massive big sleeves his arms are raised and his claws are all pointy and he's got this big werewolf head on him and it's brilliant He's got full Lon Chaney Jr. in his like. It's so funny. <laughs> it's amazing. It's really. It's, 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 and it's also like, I, I know this does come, you know, as you say, this is in the, uh, in the, in the book, but it does not look terrifying enough to provoke no. the reaction, which it does in Elizabeth. This is true. And I have to say, shout out to the cover of the version that I have, which is the kind of the, the version we would have got from like the UK print. That yes, we got here the in version Ireland. I would have read. Back and in I the have day. to say, it's not bad. Like I know it's, you know, it's just, it's a bunch of things on a silk background, which is just the way of these covers. 
but I did enjoy the things because we've got like um, a little a pen with London on it, like a little souvenir pen. There's a notepad with Beware the Full Moon scribbled on it. Oh, There's very nice. like a press card from um, from the newspaper. There's like a, a street sign that says New Scotland Yard and it's got like a splash of blood across it. <laughs> There's a little ornament of Big Ben. There's then like a little jewellery box with a pair of earrings in the shape of crescent moons. And oh. I'm just like, I kind of love this little tableau they've put together and then off to one side there's like a lock of hair or is it fur who knows <gasps> it, it could be anything but it's actually do you know what it's not a bad cover for the uk editions to be fair I will it isn't that. and i think it's it's helpful to it that it was clearly designed in britain like even the fact that the new scotland yard plate is um does look like a street hmm. It's a proper, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, so you've got the city of Westminster yes, exactly, on the bottom. Yeah. It's, um, it's accurate. It's even a little 90s like friendship bracelet kind of draped across a few bits and pieces. Like it's <laughs> delightful. I enjoyed this, I have to say. <laughs> it is the most accurate uh, depiction of London hmm. in this entire book. <laughs> it's all brace, downhill from here. <laughs> brace yourselves, listeners. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um... Now, uh, I mean, we there's certain things that happen in this book that are repeated, mm. these terrible errors, and we can't call out every single time they happen, but we'll just let you know that they all happen a lot. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, I do not think the author of this book had even seen a guidebook about London. They have, you know, they've clearly never been there, mm. and I don't think they've ever met an English person. Oh God! They were really just left high and dry. I feel like with this assignment. <laughs> yes, it's basically fantasy, um, and it begins in the skies. Where we don't even get a glimpse of Sweet Valley. We're straight away in the air. <laughs> True, and I was hoping they'd uh, notice flying over Ireland, but um, they don't. No. Well, I do, actually, in fairness, I've never flown when I've flown transatlantic. I've never flown to England, so maybe they they bypass us from the north. Oh, maybe. Um, but uh, yes, of course, England looks all picturesque because they're not like flying over, you know, any major cities. It's all lush green farmland and tiny villages and not like Birmingham or <laughs> Manchester or anywhere. The outer suburbs of London. No. <laughs> um, turns out they've been traveling for two days, which makes sense, but sounds mm. very tiring. Mm hmm. Um, so Liz is all excited about their internship at the London Journal. Uh, but Jessica isn't at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why anyone would expect her to be. Like, it's mm. so funny that these kind of basically super thrillers put them working at a newspaper. And it's like, well, we better get Jessica along for the ride somehow. <laughs> so she just keeps getting roped into these newspaper internships she has zero interest in. <laughs> I know. How did she get accepted for this internship program? Like, apparently, it's like <laughs> apparently it's a they, they do. Yeah, they do kind of mention that it's like their their Sweet Valley News contact set them up with this <laughs> somehow. <laughs> well, apparently, the journal is the classiest, most intellectual newspaper in the world. And based on what we hear, I find this very hard to believe. <laughs> None of this checks out. <laughs> Um, well, Liz is all excited about you know England's literary heritage, and uh, Liz or uh, Jessica doesn't even want to hear the names of any famous authors because it makes her feel as if she's back in the English class 
of Mr. Collins. (laughs) Yes, she's insisting that they're actually on their holidays, on vacation. So she's like, try not to be such a nerd for once. She just doesn't even want to put any single brain cell to use, which, you know, isn't that much different from usual times for her, I would have thought, but there we go. Well, true. Then speaking of not putting your brain cells to use, uh, we get the usual twin comparison and Mm -hmm. the first sight that the recent trauma has been completely forgotten because (laughs) we're told Jessica had had a few steady boyfriends herself, but all in all preferred the life of a swinging single. Why tie yourself down to just one boy when the world was filled with so many cute ones? I mean, I guess that's a sensible (laughs) attitude when they keep fucking dying in (laughs) front of you. (laughs) Literally, my notes were, why tie yourself down to just one boy when they're all fucking dying? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just except from, you know, your brain is going to, uh, listeners, and many times in this episode is going to say, but hang on, didn't Jessica <laughs> recently, you know, lose the supposed love of her life uh, twice? <laughs> She's forgotten. So yeah. I guess we have to too. So that's it, just adjust. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, Jessica has uh, very lofty plans for her trip, which I mean, I don't know how she thinks a 16 year old girl is going to be doing all this. Well, she does some of it in fairness to her. This she, is um, true, but it's it's ambitious in, oh, in its uh, scope for a teenager. Yes. No, she plans to shop on Sloane Street, hit the London music scene and hobnob with royalty. In fairness to her, she hits two out of those three. <laughs> That's true. Well, actually, she hits. She hits three. Oh no, she doesn't shop on Sloane Street. No. Um, but why uh, would she? Like, yes, she's, she's a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, based on some of their spending sprees in this book, maybe she can afford oh to shop on Sloane Street. You know what? Fair. <laughs> um, but we get some. You know, they haven't even hit the ground, and we get some handy and very, very, very clunky foreshadowing when we hear about Lila's. Farewell bash for the twins. <laughs> yes, so Lila threw a party uh, for the for the twins as a going away party uh, and people wore costumes. So, I mean, <gasps> I can only presume Lila busted out her Princess Diana costume once more. That's literally <laughs> what my notes say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but apparently, uh, yeah, people turned up as uh, the British royal family, Sherlock Holmes and Watson, James Bond, even Jack the Ripper. Uh, but the uh, centerpiece of the party was that uh, Lila had rented the horror movie An American Werewolf in London. <laughs> I mean, it is one of my favourite films. It is so great, to be fair. Yeah. I do love it. And uh, they recap it in great detail. <laughs> so much detail. L- listeners, just go to Wikipedia and look it up for yourself if you haven't seen it. Or better yet, watch it because it is great. Um, it is. But uh, at one stage, Liz, when when Jessica's recapping the entire thing, and and really spoiling it. Oh my God, it's so spoilery. (laughs) Gives away the ending. Jessica's like, you're scaring me. Or Liz is like, you're scaring me all over again. Once was enough. I'd rather not even think about that movie. It's like, because it reminds you of your own recent rush with death. No, (laughs) Uh, because they've forgotten all about it. And Jessica is declaring with bloodthirsty relish, we're told, that she likes it and she has equally gory hopes for their London visit. Like, again, we're just, I guess, supposed to forget all the recent murder that's been in her life because she uh, says maybe there'll be a nice ghoulish murder while we're working for the London Journal. Something gruesome and creepy. <laughs> what, like the one you literally saw happen or the one that was almost done to you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, like truly, these books are bananas. Like they really don't feel like they're part of the main storyline at all. 
Or if the main, the, oh, the, the, the world that we're just <laughs> Indeed, the world at large is all being left behind. Well, they finally land and Liz is all excited, which is actually sweet and kind of realistic because the first time you go to a country that you've just mm. known through books and TV shows and films yeah. is actually kind of mad. Of course, um, it is exciting. Yeah. Yes. Jessica, see, uh, thinks that she sees a royal because she sees some random ruddy-faced toff um, <laughs> and uh, shows her true boot-licking nature. Because uh. she's, uh, she's, she's delighted to be in uh, a place with um, the, uh, I guess she would think of it as the upper crust, but um, I would think of as parasites. <laughs> well, they... <laughs> That's the difference between us and the Jessica Wakefield, I guess. Uh, yeah, because she kind of she kind of pokes Liz and she's like, is that who I think it is? And Liz is like, I don't know. Who do you think it is? And Jess is like, it's a prince or maybe the cousin of a prince or at least the friend of a prince. So he just looks fancy enough that she thinks he's probably aristocratic. Oh. So she's immediately taken in. Uh, and Liz is just like, not every good looking rich guy in England will turn out to be a member of the royal family. She's like, no, but some of them are bound to. So she is just completely like royalty struck or whatever the kind of... Yeah, <laughs> phrase for that would be it's it's embarrassing, Jessica. <laughs> Get yes. your act together. She, she says, "Isn't it just great to be in a country where there are kings and cre- queens and aristocrats?" No, no. Jessica, <laughs> we had them ruling us for like eight hundred fucking years. It's not great. Was, yeah, we're coming at this from a very different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> There are plenty, I mean, you would not, plenty of English people who feel the same way and you would yeah, not know from this book that Britain is, you know, has, a, has, has plenty of left-wing <laughs> inhabitants because, uh, yeah, this is a world where the where the, the privileges of, of, of the aristocracy do not seem to have been diluted since like the 18th century. But... <laughs> yeah, basically in this book, all the Brits are either like extremely posh rich people or like dirt poor and that's it there's no in between (laughs) nothing in between Um, well they see a newspaper machine which we don't really have in Europe in the same way Mm. um, at least not then and they're amazed by the concept of foreign money (laughs) yeah Liz goes to buy a paper like with a quarter and then has to stop herself and be like oh my god of course I need to exchange my currency Um, so there's a lot of this kind of and you know You'd forgive it if they'd never travelled outside the States before, but like Mm -hmm. they have been to France, possibly other places I'm forgetting about. But like even within this book, there are references to their trip to France from like spring break. So, you know, fucking cool it, will you? (laughs) Also, why haven't you got like traveller's checks and stuff beforehand like people used to do back in the day? This is shit that you sort out before the plane. But um, yeah, they discover that there's a huge headline on the newspaper. Apparently every newspaper on display is telling the same startling story, which is that the improbably named Princess Eliana is missing. (laughs) There's a lot of improbably named royals. Oh my God. Literally open any book about the royals. You will not find an Eliana in there anywhere. Like I feel like there was uproar when like one of the royals was called Zara. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. They're literally all called like Anne or Margaret or David or Edward or Charles or like... (laughs) version of Elizabeth like there's yeah. genuinely very little wiggle room for fun names <laughs> they've had six Georges like two <laughs> elaborate names yeah um, well apparently Princess Aliana is clearly the Queen's miracle baby because <laughs> when this book came out the Queen was like pushing 70 and yet has a 16 year old daughter 
I know. I feel like the fact that so many of the like royal family are fictional characters in this one, it must just be a fictional queen as well, who's yes. much younger. <laughs> because also like the way some of the characters are carrying on in this, it's like, wait, are we in the 20s or possibly the 40s? Where are we in terms of time? So yes. I have a theory. They have literally traveled back in time oh. on this transatlantic flight because that oh, would explain shit. something. That would explain almost everything, actually. Oh. I think maybe that's how we should visualize it from now on. <laughs> yeah. Well, they head out of the airport and they get a black cab into London because I presume they must have exchanged a lot of money. Mm. Like, get the Piccadilly line like everyone else. They are swimming in sterling. Oh, seriously. They're getting cabs right, left and centre. Like, black cabs are insanely (laughs) expensive. So expensive. Um, Well, Jessica, the fucking idiot, seems to find out for the first time about driving on the left. Like, yeah, she literally I know shrieks it, but... at the cabbie like it's embarrassing. <laughs> and says, stop, you're driving on the wrong side of the road. Like, if you've never heard that before, really. Mm, yes, American exceptionalism is a hell of a drug. Uh, that's true. And <laughs> um, so they uh, they go on a, on a very elaborate tour around London. <laughs> um, like they passed <laughs> Big Ben. <laughs> And they also have a very implausible address. Oh it's God, Wait, what is it? Winchester Street? 1020 <laughs> Winchester Street. I can tell you, I'm pretty sure Central London does not have a thousand, number 1020. <laughs> no streets are that long. They turn into a different street. Exactly. Um, though, you know, London listeners, I mean... You know, well, we're we we may be surprised. There is a real Winchester Street, by the way. I did oh, look it up. Oh, it's in okay. Um, but I mean, none of the geography of London in this book makes any sense whatsoever. Mm, no. Um. So the cabbie drops them off and warns them of the dangers and says mm-hmm. it's easy for strangers to lose their way and see <laughs> because it is London can be a dangerous place. It's not that scenic, pal. Sorry. Oh, it's fairly scenic <laughs> sometimes. It's, it's probably more scenic than Sweet Valley, but well, like, yeah. oh, maybe I'm just used to it. That's it. You see, it's mm. it's old news to you and me, but, uh, mm. you know. <laughs> That's true. Okay, I'll be generous about that. So I'm convinced. Plus they've travelled back in time. It's very impressive. Oh, that's true. I'd be impressed by that too. <laughs> Um, well, he warns them, rightly enough, about looking left and right before they cross the road. And um, off he goes. But before they can enter the International Student Hostel, they meet a, I can only describe as a scary beggar lady. (laughs) Yes, she's, I guess, an oracle of some sort because she's (laughs) she's described as a hunchbacked old bag lady uh, hobbling along the sidewalk until they're like face to face. Uh, So apparently this woman, she's dressed in grimy rags, her hair wildly tangled. uh, And Jessica literally yelps when she sees her and the... (laughs) woman hisses beware the full moon <laughs> uh, she doesn't she hisses it twice and then oh, she, she hobbles on she, she sure does Jessica just laughs it off because you know what else can you do um, but Liz can't quite muster a smile because she's already uh, freaked out and there's unaccountable shivers chasing up her spine and not for oh. the first fucking time in this oh, book oh god certainly not well, 
Liz shakes it off and they head towards the entrance and there's other kids outside and they're mm. speaking a whole wide variety of language and languages. And, you know, it's this is an exciting novelty. Yeah. Um, and everyone's really friendly and a red haired girl uh, introduces uh, reduces herself and says, you're just in time for tea. Because, <laughs> yes, teenagers in London in the 90s had an afternoon tea. They were fucking mad for the tea. So they were... <laughs> Well, the girl introduces herself. She's got another impressive internship. Oh, God, yes. So this is Australian uh, student Emily, who has managed to wangle an internship at the fucking BBC. (laughs) How do these kids get these amazing internships? Because they're all like, they're not in college or anything. Hmm. They seem to be just children. (laughs) Exactly. It is literally a house full of international children. Well, um, Emily shows them up to their room, which is very nice. It's got two sets of bunk beds. It's much fancier than any hostel I've ever seen. Oh my God, it sounds so nice because it's like bunk beds. It's like, yeah, fair. And then it's like a little conversation nook with easy chairs. I was like, hang on a fucking second. You're telling me there isn't another set of bunk beds in that corner because yeah, there would be in any other universe. It's got a walk-in closet. Oh, for fuck's sake. Again, there'd be four more fucking bunk beds in there. (laughs) Well, Jessica bags the top bunk and Emily tells them about their roommates and there's good news and bad news. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, apparently the good news is Lena Smith, uh, who is lovely. Um, But the bad news is Portia Albert, who is apparently an absolute pain in the arse. Uh, And Emily very implausibly introduces Lena as being from a poor family in Liverpool. It's like, how is that the way you would introduce anybody? All you have to say there is, she's from Liverpool. (laughs) But then again, like there is a whole obsession with the class system in England too. So I was kind of like, maybe this is inadvertently playing into that. But... uh, no, like it's very strange from Emily because she's like, yes, she's working for the summer. Uh, this Lena girl is working at a homeless shelter. They only pay her pennies and she doesn't get much help from home. So I really don't know how she manages. Uh, it's a very, she's, look, it's a lot to tell about a stranger. I know, exactly. <laughs> and it all seems like, yeah, she's really fucking poor. She's making no money at all. <laughs> it's very strange. But apparently this Lena girl is very quiet and shy, but she's got a bold streak. Uh, and she reckons that uh, they'll, they'll have no problem getting along with her. But Portia is a different story. So apparently she is the daughter of Sir Montford Albert, who Liz is super excited about because he is the most famous Shakespearean actor in the world. Um so yeah, Portia has come to London from Edinburgh. Uh, her dad apparently runs a theatre company up there and she wants to be an actress, but apparently she's like the snobbiest, rudest, most self-absorbed girl that, uh, that Emily has ever met in her life. Um, and uh, Jessica says, then you've never met Lila Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like unnecessary burn on Lila. Especially to somebody who doesn't even know her. So God, <laughs> get your hilarious jest. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Portia is, uh, has got a part in a new play opening this week in the West End. And Emily sure it's thanks to her father, Sir mm. Montford's uh-huh. influence. And uh, Emily gives them the daily schedule, um, which is completely implausible and impractical. Oh, completely. Yeah. Uh, the house is run by this woman, Mrs. Bates, who, again, is like some fucking woman that runs an orphanage in the 1800s <laughs> or something by the go over with her big fucking ring of keys. But uh, yeah, so she kind of just talks them through the house rules where there's like no boys on the third floor. Girls aren't to linger on the second floor landing because that's where the boys stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a curfew. Jessica's disgusted. There's a curfew. She's like, well, we might as well be at home. Uh, even though like apparently the curfew is 11 o'clock, which, you know, seems fair enough when they're literal children staying in <laughs> 
exactly. <laughs> to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, apparently they get a big English breakfast at eight, fair. And then hmm. there's tea from four in the afternoon till six and a light supper later. Like, I don't think they understand. This is clearly isn't, you know, the breakfast, dinner and tea hmm. meal system, which is, yeah. you know, your dinner is at lunchtime and tea is like a little sort of, you know, beans on toast or something later on it seems to be just like afternoon tea from four to six like what sort of youth hostel would provide (laughs) such (laughs) also apparently uh mrs bates mightn't approve of the twins they mightn't be up to snuff in her book we're told it's like how is this this woman running a fucking youth hostel I know. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So this is the thing. So Emily's, uh, you know, dying to see how this is going to go because apparently uh, she fawns over Portia because she's got, you know, good bloodlines, uh, but she's yeah. very chilly to the rest of them. <laughs> to those, those ruffians. Uh, and Emily's like, especially me being from Australia. <laughs> and she kind of does an impression of Mrs. Bates. And she's like, why, my dear, do you know who your ancestors are? The whole country was settled by convicts. <laughs> Apologies to all of our Australian listeners. Oh, I know, but like but, this, this is this is the kind of crack that uh, that we're going to get out of Mrs. Bates anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, I think we should be very, very grateful there are no Irish characters. In oh this book. holy shit! Bullet fucking dodged there. Yet, <laughs> no, thank well, you. <laughs> we get the one down on the other guests. I mean, students, and uh, again, Emily is just giving out all these personal details. It's so inappropriate. <laughs> She's totally. David Bartholomew is from Liverpool, like Lena. His mum's a charwoman and his father's on the dole. Disability, I think. <laughs> the fuck? Stop telling them all these personal details. A fucking guard wouldn't ask you that. And he's attending the London University summer session on a scholarship studying literature. He's a very nice fellow, apparently. And uh, there's a hunky Italian called Gabriello. Yeah, he's a musician. Apparently he's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, total work of art. Uh, and when, of course, Jessica is suddenly uh, perking up with interest, she's like, oh, sounds like the boy of my dreams. But uh, hopes are dashed immediately because apparently he's already found a girlfriend, some bitch called Sophie from <sighs> the summer session. Uh, <laughs> but then she moves on to the next uh, guy that's staying in the house and she says, hmm, but Renee, I don't think he's attached. Yes, he's French and interning at the embassy. And uh, Elizabeth Sarsh skips a beat. <laughs> um, and L- Jessica whispers, Renee, do you think it could be? I mean, the odds that it could are staggeringly small. But as we will see, <laughs> pro- the, you know, probability means nothing in Sweet Valley. Um because, uh, yeah, Liz puts a hand to her face and it grows hot and she's transported back to their time in Cannes, which oh you might remember, we recapped um, at the height of lockdown. In, in a state of absolute delirium, even thinking about a different country. <laughs> it was the one where the cover was the twins looking at a map of France and screaming and we could That's relate. It. I know, like at any other time in our lives, that would have just been a hilariously crazy cover. But in the height of lockdown, when we couldn't go fucking two kilometres out of their own houses. It was just like, yeah, hard relate there from the twins (laughs) screaming at the sky in a different country, like looking delighted at a map. It was suddenly all too fucking real. (laughs) The most relatable they've ever been. Honestly. (laughs) And when they go downstairs, it is indeed our old pal, Renee. Oh my God. God, Like so gas. (laughs) And Liz... Not for the last time in this book. Shows what a horn dog she is. 
Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Uh, so of course, Emily is amazed that uh, that Renee seems to already know the twins because like, yeah, fair, this whole thing is fucking ridiculous. Uh, but like he immediately sweeps across the room to them, does the whole like kissing on both cheeks. And uh, yeah, when he seizes Liz, uh, she's like, did she imagine it? Did his lips seem to linger on her cheek? Uh, and <laughs> she's just, she's completely like bamboozled by the fact that Renee is there and he's even more handsome than she remembered so it's very like fucking Todd who immediately yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes because uh, he says like oh it's been too long since we've last corresponded it's like well time is a flat circle in Sweet Valley so it could have been five <laughs> years or ten years who oh, knows truly the fact that it's now the summer like they've really just given up on any pretense at a timeline or a structure to the year like it's just None. it's all gone out the window now Completely. Um, and uh, very, uh, very unrealistically, Renee gives a recap of his, de- his recent activities and says things like, my interests have been changing and evolving lately, <laughs> which is a very realistic way for a teenager to express themselves. Oh, people talk like totally normal teenagers. So, uh, yeah, he's reconciled with his dad, um, who you might remember had gone off to America. And uh, when he goes to university next year, he wants to study international relationship or international relations. So he's doing this internship at the French embassy. Do they let teenagers do internships? Seems unlikely. Seems like anywhere will take on a random fucking 16 year old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. Um, well, uh, he says that he's really enjoying his internship, but then says, but now that you're here, he <laughs> stares deep into Elizabeth's eyes. I'll just have to make some free time. <gasps> and Liz is blushing and remembers, not for long, she had a boyfriend at home. She was in love with Todd Wilkins and always would be. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> But she couldn't deny it. The sparks were still there between her and Renee Glees. Yes. Oh my God. Hilarious. <laughs> it's just like as soon as she leaves the country, it's like, oh, it doesn't count if we're not in the States. <laughs> doesn't count if we're not in California. <laughs> <laughs> that is seriously her rule. Hashtag yeah. poor Todd. Uh, who would have thought? Like, <laughs> I mean, in recent books, she has been such a terrible girlfriend. The worst. Like she, oh, she just cheats on this man so often it's actually crazy <laughs> it is well speaking of crazy um later the twins go to bed with jet lag um because uh you know they have been traveling for two days but they still hmm. haven't met their roommates um so they head off to bed but uh when they when they go into their room lena smith wearing a worn gray wool cardigan <laughs> turns and says why, hello. We <laughs> live puddly in accent, reminiscent of the Beatles. Like, it's so clear that the ghostwriter's one and only reference for Liverpool is the Beatles all the way through this book. <laughs> I think it's their only reference for any city that isn't London. Yeah, true, actually. <laughs> I'd love it if it was Manchester and, like, she was really into, you know, the Manchester scene that she been, like, <laughs> you know, just for that last <laughs> Just an absolute raver. <laughs> Wearing a bucket hat like Renny from the Stone Roses. Um, but uh, smiling faces, having a great time. <laughs> but uh, yes, Liz likes her immediately uh, with her blue eyes sparkling intelligently behind her wire-rimmed glasses. And she's 
basically she's really saintly and goes on for some length, uh, for some time about how the most rewarding thing is helping the homeless. Unless, of course, we found a way to eliminate homelessness altogether. And Lena um, is like, what is your government doing about it, Elizabeth? Do you think the American political system is better uh, constituted to cure social um, ills than the British system? Because I think we English tend to dot, dot, dot. I'm just saying now, I know, okay, I can't spoil. Because <laughs> who could possibly guess Lena's identity? Mm. I don't know if the author of this book realises how right-wing America is, even in comparison to Britain under the Tories in the early 90s. <laughs> and I do not think anybody British in 1993 would be going, you know, um, we've got the NHS and free tuition, <laughs> like free college tuition, <laughs> but please tell us how to deal with social inequality. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, I really just really wanted them to finish that sentence. Like, I just I want to know what you think the English tend to do. Please enlighten me. Uh, Well, Jessica is not impressed by Lita and her serious ways, but she reminds Liz of somebody. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. With a bit of a fashion makeover, Elizabeth muses. Lena would be very pretty. That's very generous of you. <laughs> Do you know what? Because immediately this is followed up by her saying, oh, she reminds me of someone. But who? And I was like, Lynn Henry. She reminds you of Lynn Henry because you're just <laughs> thinking about, oh, she'd be so pretty if she just took off her glasses. <laughs> Shut up, Liz. <laughs> well, speaking of pretty, here a raven-haired goddess enters. <laughs> Yes, a tall, curvy girl with a cascade of wavy, raven black hair. And I love that, like, I feel like curvy in the world of Sweet Valley just means has tits. Like, that's basically Absolutely. what they're saying here. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so she walks in. She's got these disdainful grey eyes. Uh, she sweeps across the room and sees Jess and Liz and she goes, twins, how quaint. What does that <laughs> she, even mean? She drawled as if to herself. And I was just like, who is this bitch? I might love her. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so um, she's introduced uh, to the Wakefields and she's just so unimpressed uh, and just above all of this. She's an absolute nightmare. Uh, But it's just I just still kind of love somebody not being immediately falling all over themselves (laughs) about the Wakefields. So there is a kind of satisfaction in that, in fairness. It is refreshing, even though she's incredibly rude. Um, So she does an elaborate bedtime routine, including eye mask and earplugs and everybody settles down to sleep. Um, but England apparently has a real curtain problem because the waxing moon shines through the, the the window, bathing Elizabeth's face in its eerie light. <laughs> yeah, it's like, are there no blinds, no curtains? Yeah. What's, what's going on here? Bates, what kind of fucking ramshackle <laughs> operation are you running here? Forget about the walk-in closets and buy some curtains, Mrs. Bates. <laughs> no, get your priorities in order. <laughs> She asks Jessica, who's half asleep, about the old lady they met outside. <laughs> and of course, uh, Jessica jokes about werewolves. Yes, she said, uh, oh, she meant werewolves, of course. Remember the line from an American werewolf in London? And again, it's like, here's a scene that happened in the movie. <laughs> but it kind of ends up freaking out Liz. And she's like, you don't believe in werewolves, do you? And Jessica's like, no, of course not. Go to sleep, you dope. In so many words. Uh, <laughs> but they do both end up laughing. So I guess Liz is... Uh, freaked out at nurses kind of put to rest temporarily at mm. least 
Well, the next morning we get a rare moment of realism because the weather's kind of shit. And, uh, <laughs> Honestly, it's so, I was going to say, it's so weird that there isn't a single mention of Kara Walker in this entire book, considering she moved to London and was Jessica's like part of her core, like bestie group. And yet yes. it's like, but then I thought, well, it rains this much. Maybe she's just dead. She, <laughs> she died from all the rain. <laughs> Wow, that would explain a lot. Cause <laughs> I mean, everyone's out of sight, out of mind in this book. But really, their one friend in London—they bump into Rene fucking Glees and, they <laughs> and not a fucking sound about Kara Walker. Like it's so Aww. lazy. <laughs> Poor Kara. Yeah, dead and forgotten. Well, Lila, Lena, I keep, every time I see her name, I keep wanting oh, to say Lila, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it is Lena, it is. says she can't imagine living somewhere always, where it's always warm and sunny, sunny and says, no wonder you two are so bronzed, but, but Jessica's worried she won't be for long. Oh no, she's worried she's going to lose her tan and she'll be pale as a ghost by the <gasps> end of this uh, internship, but then thinks maybe I'll cultivate the pale aristocratic look of a British royal and she kind of pulls a face, kind of a pouty stupid face that apparently is an imitation of uh, of the missing princess and Lena smiles mm. and she goes oh that's it exactly mm. <laughs> I don't know why they think aristocrats are so good looking like have they ever seen the royal family oh my God. <laughs> that's a horsey looking bunch <laughs> it sure is <laughs> Well, they all, uh, all the students head off and uh, Liz and Jessica head for the tube. Surprised they're not getting a black cab to work. Um, but... <laughs> and uh, Jessica nearly gets squashed by a bus because she looks the wrong way. But in fairness, I think we've all been there. So I can't really judge her. Okay. <laughs> um, so the newspaper offices are off near St. Paul's. That's, you know, some information oh. about London geography that we get. And Liz is all excited as they arrive. And um, she, uh, she's she got her little dictaphone and it's like, ready to report some news, Jessica. It's like, I know that Sweet Valley has given you a weird idea of what newspaper interns in the 90s do. But like your confidence that the most intellectual, prestigious newspaper in the world <laughs> is going to send you out as a ace reporter is interesting. Mm. <laughs> Quite the perspective. Mm. So they go in, the office is super busy, the receptionist doesn't even take their names, so security here is as lax as it is in Sweet Valley. Oh my god, yeah, they're just waved on through, like without a word, basically. But yeah, the place is in absolute chaos. There's people running everywhere, there's telephones ringing, there's the clattering computer keyboards. Uh, so Liz is like, oh, a big story must be breaking. So she's like, okay, let's find out. So they're trying to locate the editor-in-chief as if he's Jesus the man to go Christ. to as two fucking schoolgirl interns. It's like, yes, the editor-in-chief of one of the biggest, most intellectual newspapers in the world. <laughs> in the world. world. <laughs> they're coming in as two interns and they're like, well, we're going straight to the top. It's like, <laughs> the fuck you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, Jessica puts her hands on her hips and because nobody is telling them, you know, yeah. Everyone ignores where, them. Where to go. Of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. as, as they would. So yeah. Jessica puts her hands on her hips and demands, what's the fuss all about? And somebody tells them that, uh, um, you mean you haven't heard? It appears that Cameron Neville, a prominent London doctor, was <laughs> murdered last night. His body was discovered only minutes ago. This newspaper newsroom is at 9-11 levels of shock and ex like hmm. excitement about this story. It's chaos in there. Like everyone's running all over the place. Like it just sounds like just, just absolute. Yeah, everyone's lost their minds. <laughs> how is the murder of a doctor 
They're like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. It's happening. <laughs> Looking at alarms going off and people running all over the place. It's ridiculous. And uh, Liz says, maybe Henry Reeves will put us on the story. I don't say, are you on fucking glue? Like, <laughs> Again, that would explain a lot. <laughs> it really would. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah they're very optimistic fantasising about working with Scotland Yard to solve the case so they don't only think they're going to get like these big stories they think they're going to be working with the police Mm -hmm. to solve them yeah totally reasonable Mm. so uh, Jessica goes to the loo and Liz um, decides she's going to look for uh, the editor in his you know he knows she knows he must be somewhere in one of the uh, private offices of the open plan newsroom um, and as she turns around, quiet corner, she finds a boy writing in a notebook. <laughs> yeah, she kind of just says, excuse me to him. And he jumps up startled, slams his notebook shut. Uh, and like his eyes lock with Elizabeth. Uh, and this is fucking Timothy Chalamet where he's got like, <laughs> his eyes are clear alpine lake blue and his skin is fair and his hair has a long lock falling over his forehead. It's almost black hair. And apparently he reminds Elizabeth a picture of Lord Byron. Like it's all completely <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Lord Byron have a club foot? He did, but he's very hot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just like, but the, I, but of course there'd be no such case with uh, with this guy. Um, oh no, 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 no disabilities. In it's just body. the hotness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So he, she's like, oh look, I'm sorry if I startled you. I'm just wondering if you could tell me. But before she can even finish, he basically just runs off. Uh, he's like, I must take care of something, and like bolts past her and disappears. So it's like extremely <laughs> weird and mysterious uh, of an introduction to a character because yes. Uh, we kind of don't hear any more about him for the minute because uh, Jess turns up and says that she's found Henry Reeves. So she leads Liz into the editor-in-chief's office. Hilariously. For the love of God. <laughs> the confidence. We're told, we're told that under Henry Reeves, the London Journal had won a slew of journalistic honours and consolidated its position as the most widely read paper in England. And i got to say, this is a very optimistic image of the British reading public because <laughs> the most widely read paper in England in the 90s and I think now is the sun. It is not this intellectual, <laughs> sophisticated paper. Oh boy! <laughs> well, also, that a London paper would be the most read in England as well. It's kind of like no, no, no. Come on. Yes. Listen, the way they say like the London Journal makes it sound like it's you know the Evening Standard or something. Like it's a local paper. It's a London paper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the twins introduce themselves and they're a bit nervous. And uh, unsurprisingly, uh, Henry Reeves doesn't want to take them under his wing. <laughs> I know. He's basically just like, OK, stay out of my way. Go over to Frank and Society when they eventually explain who they are. Uh, he kind of points them in the direction of this guy, Frank, who's in charge of the Society column or section or whatever and he's like tell him he can do whatever he wants with you and he's going to shoes them away and the twins are so scandalised it's hilarious Jessica's like he acted like he'd never even heard our names before what a jerk it's like do you seriously think the editor-in-chief of the biggest paper in the country is the world Karen, the, the fucking world. world excuse me <laughs> he says time like to be sifting through fucking internship applications like get out of here <laughs> I mean yeah she ejected like Liz is also shocked. Like, I thought he'd have special assignments for us. <gasps> Why? Take him under his wing. Like, no, he's 
busy. Why did you expect any of this? But just it's so they're just so horrified by just the indignity of somebody not fawning all over them straight away. It's just so funny. And then we get some, I think, very out of character stuff from Jessica because she's like, I can't believe we flew all the way across the ocean to be assigned to the social page uh, because they see a cubicle with the nameplate reading Tony Frank's society editor. It was like, what's that? Tea parties? First of all, that's incredibly rude. And second of all, like Jessica wouldn't want to be a gossip columnist in high society. That is exactly her jam. So yeah, I don't know why she's so kind of disgusted by this. Um, because like then again, this guy, Tony Frank, like hears all this because he's literally sitting at his desk when these fucking <laughs> random children come up and start talking shit about his job. He's like, um, OK, but he explains that not just any tea parties, mind you, the tea parties of the very rich and well-bred, the aristocracy. Uh, and doesn't just kind of giggle. But again, like this is Jessica has already been established to be obsessed with the upper class. So like you'd think she'd be like, oh, fucking nice one. Like, send me out. Yes. I'm ready. Um, but yeah, anyway, he guesses they're the interns from California. Uh, so he's like, okay, so like, what are you doing over here? Basically, <laughs> So he's like, oh, okay, you know, uh, uh, obviously, you know, the, the society column isn't exactly what you had in mind. Uh, but then he's like, oh, well, I don't like it any better than you do. And suddenly his eyes are glittering with fire uh, because he wants to get his hands on a juicy story like the Dr. Neville murder. So um, they're also and- unprofessional. Because oh, Jessica's just insulted his job and he's like, to these children, yeah, it's shit. Yeah, basically. But um, yeah, so he kind of decides, you know, okay, let's see if we can get something more interesting for you to work on. So he leads them to uh, the <laughs> the crime writer. And uh, yeah, so we, we meet this woman. And I'm just going to go through the outfit because, again, this is bizarre. It's like, oh what time period are we in? Because this lady reporter is <laughs> typing away furiously on her computer in a forest green silk dress, like... <laughs> what 90s reporter is swanning around <laughs> typing up fucking crime reports in a silky dress in the middle of the day? No. When I started my own internship, bear in mind, it was as part of a journalism master's degree <laughs> and I was 22. Um, I remember thinking, oh shit, like how formal will the clothes mm. be? And turning up in a pair of like Levi's like they did these like Levi's polyester uh sort of 70s style pants okay. in, in the late 90s and I turned up in them and like a 70s shirt thinking this is very chic and obviously like up clothes yes yes <laughs> grown-up clothes via you know uh, pulp video yes. and then I turned up and everybody was just in like jeans and t-shirts yes <laughs> of course they were they're fucking journalists and reporters like I just thought this was such a hilarious image of this like beautiful woman in her green silk dress <laughs> like typing up the fucking crime reports like just bizarre <laughs> and um yeah to- she uh she says not now frank and tony says i'm not here to pester you for a date i should hope not oh, um so but uh he says uh they've got twins as interns and henry reeve says they have to flip for them mm. and uh, lucy actually says i don't have time to be a girl guide leader they're all yours but uh, they toss for it and I guess Lucy loses and gets the twins. I do. Yeah, I guess so. Also, wonderfully, uh, this lady's name is Lucy Friday, which I feel like is almost as good a name as Robbie October. Like it's <gasps> up there. Oh, and, I, and that is true. I mean, it's I do like a seasonal name. sort of day of the week, month of the year <laughs> name. It's always good. Like, but yeah, Lucy Friday. And actually, again, and I think one of the listeners actually pointed out this was coming. 
weird synergy with the TV show because uh, Liz's <gasps> current newspaper internship in the TV show, she is under a woman called Lucy. This is true. Oh my God. Again with the synergy. I know. Totally unintentional uh, every single time. <laughs> and actually, I think that Friday, I mean, maybe this could be reaching it, but could it be named after his uh, his girl Friday? Where the hair, Rosalind yeah. Russell plays a newspaper girl. Um, which that did occur to me too, actually. Yeah, that, that, that just could work as a reference. That's true. Yes. If if we're following a fucking main storyline here, <laughs> which is, you know, debatable. <laughs> the question at the minute. Yeah, very debatable. Mm. Well, Lucy understandably isn't happy with getting <laughs> sucks, stuck with these two. and uh, But they're, the twins themselves are delighted. And like the fools they are, assume that they will be covering the big murder. Uh, but unsurprisingly, they are not. No, of course not. So uh, yeah, Lucy kind of contemplates what she's got going on at the minute uh, and the stuff that needs reporting on. So she scribbles on a scrap of paper, has a delay along with two press cards and says, you'll cover Bumpo's beat. <laughs> he's a Scotland Yard detective. And this morning he's looking into the case of Lady Wimpole's missing Yorkie. <laughs> I'm just going to say now, I have never worked as a crime reporter. I I worked as a features writer when I was staff in a newspaper. I, I've never been, so I, and I never worked closely with crime reporters. I know that they do not go with police oh officers while they carry out their duties. And Again, they'd be this is some kind of... <laughs> There's some kind of weird parallel universe at work here because the kind of access that the press are getting in this storyline is <laughs> fucking buck wild. <laughs> and also, also, you would not let a 16-year-old do any crime reporting for the sole reason they don't know about things like contempt of court or what you can actually say or what, you know, what what is legal and what is potentially like... I mean, I guess it's not contempt of court because they're not doing crimes, but, you know, they could prejudice a subsequent case with their ridiculous, ill-informed reporting. These are actual cases and she's literally just cutting loose like just two fucking children on their own (laughs) to just go do it. And uh, yeah, the case is Lady Wimple. By the way, all the crimes involve aristocrats. So these people have met, are going to meet more aristocrats in about 24 hours than I have in nearly 30 years of visiting London very regularly. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever meet any aristocrats when nope. you were over there? <laughs> Unless they were in disguise. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> They're up to all sorts, as we, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> this fuckers could be anywhere. <laughs> well, the twins leave and we learn that Jessica doesn't know what a Yorkie is. <laughs> yeah, she's like, what is that anyway? Type of gemstone? A car? And of course, Liz informs her that it's a little yappy dog. And actually, again, there was a reference to like, oh, I guess we better report on a missing schnauzer in like <gasps> a TV episode. That's true. <laughs> but anyway. Oh. Um, but yeah, so uh, Jessica's kind of deflated by this and says, well, look, we better make this fast because after that, we have to get to Essex Street. And Liz is like, what do you mean? What's on Essex Street? And apparently, Jess had managed to cog this from she says Lois Lane's date book. So obviously Lucy had it written down somewhere that this is the scene of the big fucking Dr. Neville murder. So so after this, they're just going to go investigate a big, huge murder by themselves. Yes. I mean, it's, it's also, they're really, hum- like Liz is really like disappointed that their first case is a lost dog, a lost dog, because this mm-hmm. is somehow a huge humiliation to a great staff journalist like Elizabeth Wakefield. Honestly, the fact that she hasn't just been sent to do photocopies is crazy to me. Oh, just go into the fra- go to the franking machine, Liz. And- <laughs> no, it's and it's at the franking machine. <laughs> yes. 
Well, they arrive at Lady Wimpole's, which is like something out of upstairs, downstairs, and they're yes. let in by a uniformed maid where uh, Lady Wimpole shows them and bumbling bumpo pictures of her dog, Poo Poo. Uh, now, while the line, isn't he just darling in his little sunsuit, might be quite amusing. What is not amusing? I have to say, is how the twins find her grief over a lost pet hilarious. And let's just remember Prince Albert. Oh, poor Prince Albert. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically the twins are just dicks about this. They're oh like holding in giggles the entire way through. Jessica kind of starts, um, I think at some point Lady Wimpole starts worrying that it was the work of dog nappers, which again is a thing that happens. Like people yes. steal purebred dogs all the time. But uh, Bumpo is basically a comedy cop so he's just like ooh, and like pulling on his collar and fucking being ridiculous uh and then like is it jessica kind of yeah. pipes up and she's like oh has cruella de vil been rounded up for questioning sergeant uh and it's just so fucking unprofessional and liz is like struggling not to laugh and then of course bumpo takes it entirely seriously because he's like just this clown basically who's never character. heard of 101 dalmatians a very famous oh, and popular film <laughs> I know. And like that book, it, it was written by an English author, I think. Yes. Anyway, like, like just stupid stuff. Uh, so, yeah. So they just kind of get their way through this. For some reason, they're there when Bumpo is trying to do it. Like even the name Bumpo, like you can't oh. take any of it seriously. Um, Ridiculous. They, they take down the details and uh, your woman, Lady Wimpole, gives Liz or gives, yeah, gives Liz like a picture of her dog to accompany the story uh, and says, look, there'll be a sizable reward to anyone who returns him to us. Uh, so they're like, yes, okay, we'll do our best. So they like get outside and just like explode in pent up laughter. It's like, oh, I'm oh. so glad this lazy's missing dog is so fucking hilarious to you. And I hope Prince Albert, for his sake, never gets a dog now. Indeed. But not for yours, because you clearly wouldn't give a shit. They really wouldn't funny. give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're all, oh, I was, Bumpo must be given the most stupid cases, because that's how crimes work. Mm, yes. um, and how Lucy's just given them, you know, his beat. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> Um, to keep them occupied first uh, Jessica's all lucky we know how to find action on her own own. and within seconds she figures out the quickest bus route (laughs) from where they are to Essex Street and I mean Mm -hmm. well done Jessica that is very impressive (laughs) she's like there's the bus we want to take let's go (laughs) straight away job done she's she's got this whole system sorted out Well, they find the house, but there's loads of cops outside it. So, of course, Jessica throws a stone down the road, which distracts the police. And quick as a wink, the twins dash from behind a tree and slip through the the open gate. Mm -hmm. They hide in a bush. It's it's the Sweet Valley Way. (laughs) I do say, they hide in a bush. Very on brand. (laughs) At least one thing is on brand for this book and it's hiding in a bush. So they can peek in the window, um, but what they see and hear makes them wish they couldn't. Yeah, so Liz takes this very badly, has like, you know, a normal human reaction to Mm -hmm. seeing like a horrible crime scene. Um, So the book kind of just describes, yes, that there's like the body of a man lying face down and in this kind of parlour room, there's blood all over the carpet. uh, And Jessica's kind of excited and really kind of (laughs) ghoulish about the whole thing. It's really weird. Um, There's like a police photographer working away. And for some reason, Lucy Friday is standing there just like taking notes, like as this crime scene is still... (laughs) being investigated I guess and the police are still trying to do their bit and it's like why is she standing there but anyway she is mm-hmm. <laughs> reciting into her uh, her tape recorder so of course she has a different view to what the twins can see I think the man's face might be 
you know, away from uh, from the view that they have in the window. Um, so they hear Lucy kind of describing the scene uh, and it chills them uh, when they hear her say that uh, the victim's throat has been ripped open, Lucy recorded, as if by a wild beast. <gasps> Not a wild beast. Surely not. Oh my God. But uh, yeah, so this is the kind of scene that they're taking in. There's also two other people in the room and they're mm-hmm. these like well-dressed middle-aged men. Apparently they don't look like police. So the twins are I wondering if these know. are like, I know, yeah. They're kind of wondering if these are detectives or like friends of the doctor uh, or what's going on. And apparently there's a man staring down in disbelief at something flat and silver lying in the palm of his hand. And Liz guesses that it's a cigarette case. Um, yeah, so this is the kind of the scene that they that they managed to take in. But, uh, but yeah, it hits Liz quite quite hard. You think it would hit Jessica hard too, considering she has witnessed the murder of her boyfriend. <laughs> but no. <laughs> really, really not. Um, because like they're a bit stunned for a while when they're on the bus. But by the time they get back to the office, Jessica's all like, that was totally gruesome. Oh my she God, said with she's, a relish. She's absolutely buzzing. Like it's such a weird reaction. It's like she's just leaning into the horror of it all. And just this is her coping mechanism for the terrible things that have happened to her recently. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that does make more sense. Do you know, like, <laughs> We're just not going to talk about it. <laughs> so they vow not to reveal, um, you know, what they just saw to Lucy. Mm. And um, when uh, they find her, you know, having returned from Dr. Neville and um, she says, why don't one of you write up like this evening's uh, for or the Lady Wimple dog napping for this evening's mm. crime reporter column. Because I guess there's like an actual evening edition of the paper and a morning edition, <laughs> which used Who? to be a thing, but I don't know if it was in the 90s. Oh, for a big paper, it seems unlikely, doesn't mm. it? It does. Uh, like the local papers would have evening editions, do you know? Yeah. But is this a local paper? Who knows? <laughs> it's also up in the air. Oh, God. Well, uh, Liz is going to write up the poo-poo kidnapping and Lucy finds a new job for Jessica. It's another bumpo case. He's scheduled to look into a problem at Pembroke Green this afternoon. How do they know these things? Like, this is not how the police work. None of this. Also, it's so funny the way they talk about Scotland Yard. It's like basically the like special comedy branch of yeah. the Metropolitan Police rather than the actual cops. Like, it's very weird. I don't think they know what Scotland Yard is mm, because yeah. they talk like he's at Scotland Yard. I don't think they understand that Scotland Yard or New Scotland Yard mm. is where the Met, Met, where the Metropolitan Police are based. They're not like yeah, a special division. No, like it's just the headquarters of the Met. Yes. Like that's what that is. It's all the one thing. But yeah. So yeah, they just, oh, it's ridiculous. So it's like the clown college part of the Met <laughs> is Scotland Yard. That's where Bumpo's tripping over things and fucking forward rolling his way through the world. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so Jess gets sent out on on the Bumpo beat to, uh, to tra- track him down at Pembroke Green. Yes. And uh, Liz writes the poo-poo report mm-hmm. and uh, she finds it hard to write about poo-poo uh, <laughs> she keeps thinking of the murder and wonders you know what motivation there could have been for such a horrible crime but then her reverie is interrupted <laughs> by an artistic hunk my goodness yes excuse me a voice said timidly so she finds herself face to face with old Timidy Timothy Chalamet <laughs> <laughs> he said a timidly so he's timidy <laughs> <laughs> oh 
<laughs> oh God, yeah, apparently he's got a lilting, adorable English accent. Um, so he confesses that he uh, he feels guilty for the way he like got all fucking weird when <laughs> she ran into him earlier. Uh, but apparently he was caught in the act because he was <sighs> writing poems instead of working on his newspaper story. So of course Liz immediately like, oh my God, jump my bones quickly. Oh, um, this is catnip to her. <laughs> <laughs> so she introduces herself, explains that they're interns from the States. And again, she's like just blushing up a storm when she shakes his <laughs> she hand. Really is. Honest to God. So he, uh, again, totally normal teen. He's like, Would you let me take you out to tea? <laughs> to he says, me- I say, Elizabeth. I say. <laughs> he has to make up for his rudeness. I know a place just a few <laughs> blocks away. <laughs> Like, just the dialogue is crazy. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, are you a Victorian urchin? Are you an aristocratic guy? Are you American? Because Brits don't say blocks. <laughs> oh, not, not London. And, uh, and what, uh, what, what happens in this place, uh, Karen? A gourmet yes. pub? This place, the sandwiches are as thick as your arm and the Devonshire cream is the sweetest you'll find anywhere in London. <laughs> Literally everybody in this book eats like an English, sort of an upper middle class English person in, from the 20s. They all just subsist on afternoon tea. It's and scones. <laughs> and <laughs> just scones all the way down. Yeah. Very uh, realistic teenagers in the early <laughs> 90s. Like he would be taking that bit to McDonald's. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or go to a greasy spoon. Oh, there used to be mm. some great all-day breakfasts in central London back in the oh, day. There's fewer of them now. all-day breakfast. <sighs> One of my favourite ones in Covent Garden got turned into like a chi-chi cocktail place and it was a oh. sad day for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's none of that. There's no j- rasher sandwich for, um, for Liz. <laughs> None in this universe. Uh, but uh, she does behave in a very on-brand way because she's like, if my boss lets me leave early, I'd love to have tea with you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, reporter Jessica is showing her keen insight because uh, she murmurs Oh, I love a murmur, a self-murmur. Pembroke Queen. She murmurs to herself, the Pembroke family's stately residence, situated on one of the most fashionable squares in town, was encircled by lush gardens. I see where it gets its name. She is a genius. (laughs) Also, houses in those old London squares do not have giant front gardens as a rule. No. He's got a you know, few steps going up to the front. Uh, but anyway, um, a maid answers the door, of course. <laughs> it's another fucking, yeah, upstairs, downstairs, fucking Downton Abbey kind of situation yes. where she's like shown into a big fancy room and there's old Bumpo again. <laughs> she's met more aristocrats in one day than I have mm. in, like, my sister Everybody lives like, in London, yeah. so I'm there quite often and yeah. uh, never met one. No. <laughs> well, anyway, her, she was having tea. Lady Pembroke was having tea at Brown's Hotel and her mink was stolen and uh, because the hat check girl gave her a wretched chinchilla uh, instead. And when Bumpo goes to check out this chinchilla, he nearly falls on his face. Ha ha ha. But um, Jessica is distracted from Bumpo's antics by a hunk. My goodness, of course. She's never she's never more than fucking 10 metres away from a hunk at all times. Um, so there's a movement in the hallway and she turns her head just in time to see a remarkably handsome young man in English riding gear uh, passing by the entrance. So she kind of does, she kind of strains to get a better look at him, nearly falling off her chair, apparently. And in her head, she's going, yoo-hoo, over here. 
I'm surprised you didn't say that out loud. I know, me too. But yes, so this uh, young man apparently doesn't actually come into the sitting room, but she can see him exchanging some words with another man who's come in just behind him. So she surmises that this is the uh, father and son uh, of the Pembroke family. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so she, father but, and son. Oh, look at Yes. So uh, she <laughs> she thinks, yes, ah, Lord Pembroke and Lord Pembroke Jr. <laughs> But then when she gets a look at this older man, she realizes that this is the man with the cigarette case that was standing <gasps> over Dr. Neville's body earlier that day at the murder scene. So um, she kind of files that away. Mm-hmm. Pretty much immediately forgets it. Um, oh, yeah. But she's but all about the hug. Turns her attention back to uh, to the, the bumpo nonsense Uh, again is trying not to laugh at the person on whom she's reporting Uh, there is actually quite a funny bit when Lady Pembroke is going through her story and she like she does call the nuke the coat that she was given a wretched chinchilla and it's like Jessica's taking her notes and she she does say out loud wretched chinchilla (laughs) Jessica repeated beautifully making a note and I do just kind of love the image of her just like saying that out loud as she writes it I like it to think that like her tongue was sort of in the corner of her mouth (laughs) she's thinking (laughs) <laughs> she is giving this her full attention up until the point that the hunk makes an appearance of course yes because she tries to draw it all out for as long as possible um, and eventually she's like she's she's run out of steam with her stupid yeah. questions but luckily the hunk appears and he's he's showered and shaved and we're told he now wore the clothes of oh an God. English gentleman ascot and dull now an, a, isn't an ascot a cravat yeah like <laughs> <laughs> Like there's simply no way a 90s teen of any class is just wearing an ascot going about his day. Like that's just not it's, ever it's, happening. It's a cravat. Like. Yeah, like it's wild. But he basically sounds like he's off to like a formal dinner, which if that was the case, you go, OK, fair enough. Like he's a fucking tough off to his fancy fucking ball or whatever. But like, no, this is just him after coming in from horse riding and he's just wearing an ascot, chilling it in the house. He changes into his <laughs> suit and cravat and yeah. uh, the chemistry is instant. Um, <laughs> and he... Uh, <laughs> He gazes at Jessica, his chiselled aristocratic lips curling in a smile. I'm Lady Pembroke's son, little Lord Pembroke. Wow. (laughs) But you can call me Robert and I can call you anytime, Jessica thought. But yes, she introduces himself, says that she's from the London Journal. Uh, and this guy is like, oh, you're a bit young to be a reporter, aren't you? And if not, I'm not mistaken, your accent is American. So Jessica like concedes the American part, but hedges oh. about her age in case Robert, who appeared to be about 20, might lose interest if he knew she was only 16. Like he had fucking hope, but also it'd be a first. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> So uh yeah the um possible nonce Robert asks <laughs> Jessica to tea at Browns. We're all mad for just asking people for tea. It's so yeah, funny. So realistic. <laughs> um and uh we cut to a boozer though it is not like any English pub that any of you listeners might have visited. Uh <laughs> it does however have a familiar name. Oh God! Yes, so we got to yeah, Liz and Luke <laughs> heading for their tea at the Slaughtered Lamb, <laughs> and there is an actual pub in London called the Slaughtered Lamb because of a Slaughtered Lamb because a friend of mine was playing a gig there. Oh, um, in London at the weekend, it's in Clerkenwell. Um, but oh. I do not know if it's always been called the Slaughtered Lamb. Okay, fair. it's got a neon sign based on my friend Angeline's Instagram. It's got a neon sign with an upside down pentagram on it. So, oh wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> you would not catch Liz in there. <laughs> no. But yeah, she notes that uh, this is the same name as the pub in American Werewolf in London. And she's like, oh, did you ever see it? And Luke is like, yes, a matter of fact, several times. But uh, he promises this is a different kind of pub. It's warm and cozy and she'll like it. So they go in and yeah, it's lovely. They order sandwiches and scones and there's cream and a pot of tea. And this is absolutely not any pub in London in this universe again. So time travel, parallel universe, Something weird is going on, for sure. I mean, if, if you if, if such a thing were possible as scones in a pub, those <laughs> scones came out of a freezer. And also, the waitress gives them cream for their tea. Like, Ooh. no one drinks cream and tea. That's, ugh, oh, ugh, but is this, is this that American thing where they say cream when they mean like milk in your tea? But it's like oh, maybe cream. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, Liz basically tells Luke how disappointed she is that she's not running the bloody paper <laughs> and uh, tells tells him about poo poo as they get as they are handed their platter of sandwiches and fat buttery scones fresh from the what oven. The, what fucking oven? If it's not a microwave, I'll <laughs> fall over. Like. <laughs> Well, uh, Luke says he's new at the paper as he spreads his scone with thick Devonshire cream. Fuck's sake. Like if they just said, oh, I know a cafe, I know a restaurant. Yeah. Like just literally anything other than a pub because this is just not happening. You're getting some weird fucking pork scratchings and some subpar <laughs> yeah. crisps. And that's what you're getting in a pub. And you'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, partly Luke is mostly doing sort of book, uh, film and book reviews mm. and, and he's about to start college in the fall. Which fall? Who knows? Because time is a flat circle. In also, time. yeah, English people don't say the fall. It's autumn no. because again, we're just wandering all over the place with our lexicon here. <laughs> oh, we've got a bit more of this coming up um, because Luke and Liz bond over their love of poetry and Luke's all like, thanks for not making fun of me. Oh, I mean, God. he's working in the arts department in a newspaper where, you know, he can't be that like surprised that there's somebody else who likes poetry I know but um, Liz asks about his background and asks to his his family um, live in 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 London and he's like my family my father is my only family my father and Mrs. Weldon our <laughs> housekeeper just gonna say later on we're told that like Jessica's ashamed of Luke for being too common and he's got a fucking live-in housekeeper he's got a housekeeper he's fancy <laughs> yeah, he's like oh it's a nice enough old house I was born there and so was my dad but it's in but, desperate need of a new coat of paint <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say and we learned that his, his mother died when he was a boy and uh, he uh, Liz whispers I'm sorry <laughs> which is a very weird way to express your sympathy you see, nobody ever just says things, though. They have to be like whispered or murmured or muttered. Oh, or, good you know, there's that too. So I guess we'll have to cut the ghostwriter some slack. Mm, fair <laughs> enough. So Luke gets all tearful and he raves about his sadly deceased mother mm. uh, because she was his whole world. And he uh, gives, shows Liz a photo of her and he she looks very much like Luke. The same mm-hmm. sweep of raven hair, spectacular blue eyes, shy, warm smile. Regina? Is this you? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so uh, apparently she was a writer and she worked for the London Journal for a bit. And um, Liz asks, like, "How is your father a writer? And the sorrow on Luke's face gives way to disdain. He says, my father doesn't have an ounce of creativity in his bones. He runs a shabby little corner drugstore. <laughs> drugstore. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he's a pharmacist. And uh, Liz is shocked by his vehemence when he talks about his dad. But she says, of all people, as a druggist, <laughs> nope. she should have known, he should have known how quickly pneumonia could take a turn for the worse and be fatal. And of course, this sad story turns Liz on. Oh, God. She loves the misery. <laughs> yeah. Because she tells him about Sweet Valley and then we're told she felt tremendous compassion and attraction for this solitary, motherless poet. <laughs> the motherless poet part kills me. And she says it again. It's a mother poet. motherless boy. It's, so, it's such a weird, condescending thing to say. <laughs> it also seems very Victorian. So fucking Victorian. It's like, ah, oh, yes, this is my motherless friend, Luke. <laughs> Like, come on. (laughs) Well, then we cut to Fancy Brown's hotel where posh Robert Pemberg is being a ridiculous stereotype, but not even entirely accurate stereotype. And uh, we learn the ghostwriter can't spell the eating. Oh my God. And it keeps happening. And I saw that. I was like, oh, it's not how you spell it. And when it pops up later on in the book, I was like, oh, it's still not how you spell it. <laughs> just like, editor, nope, not happening. Oh, God. But yeah, like, he's just ridiculous. Like, everyone's like admiring him. Jess feels like a movie star. It's very much like an American ideal of an English aristocrat. Yes. Because none of this rings true. But it um, also turns out that this guy is like related to the royal family because he name drops, like, my cousin, Prince oh, Malcolm. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's so name droppy because we're told like when he got kicked out of Eton, his parents packed him off to auntie for the summer uh, Mm. because his cousin would be a good influence. My cousin, dot, 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 Prince Malcolm. (laughs) And Jessica's like, what? And she's like, so auntie is the queen. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what to say about Prince Malcolm. <laughs> oh God! Another very improbable name. Like, come on now. But also, apparently, they're really distant cousins, so it's really unchill of them to be like, "Oh yeah, it's Auntie," mm. like you know, for the Queen. Yeah, it's He's this is a fictional. Brother. This is a fictional royal family. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. But yeah, he says like they're. Th- third cousins once removed something fucking yeah. tenuous like that anyway it's all kind of one way or another like explained away but um yeah so Jess is just starstruck by all oh. of this and he does actually start asking questions about her in fairness True. um but uh, then reveals that apparently the London Journal is owned by his family so it's his father's newspaper um so yeah so Jessica again continues to be impressed and uh kind of talks about how you know she's Oh, this is the first story she's investigated on her own and it could be her big breakthrough. Uh, and then there is a line where Robert pats the pockets of his <gasps> jacket and says, now yes. where are my cigarettes? Just as well I haven't got them. I should really kick the habit. And That's I guess a-, a fancy lad like him would have cigarettes in a cigarette case. Yes, yes, they would. <laughs> um, but also uh, somebody smoking and they're not initially shown to be a uh, baddie. Oh my God, that's so true. It's quite rare. Very rare. Um, so, uh, yeah, his, we learned that his father, like, as you say, his father owns the journal, but yeah. he's never taken a, an interest in it. Mm. But uh, now he feels he'll have to find more excuses to drop by the office. Uh-huh. And he invites Jessica um, out the following evening um, because, may I show you around my city? And <laughs> she uh, she eagerly agrees to, yeah. his, to his his uh 
his suggestion of a night of the town. She is happy out. Well, we cut to the hostel bedroom where Liz is in a reverie when Jessica bursts in and says, you won't believe who I fall madly in love with. And Liz says, Sergeant Bumpo. <laughs> so, yeah, Jess explains that in a way, Bumpo has actually inadvertently played Cupid. Because oh. yeah, had she not been sent to Pembroke Green to, to follow his case, uh, she never would have met Lord Pembroke Jr. as oh she God. insists on calling him, which is so aggravating. Uh, and at first I was kind of like, well, it's just the Americans saying this so far. Like it is just Liz and Jess calling him like Lord Pembroke Jr. But then somebody else, English, chimes in and calls them, calls one of them oh, like, yes. senior or junior. So it is just really fucking stupid like because there's just no way that's just not how that works no it isn't <laughs> and people don't really say junior in that way on this side no. of the atlantic anyway let alone lord no. junior no like he'd be lord pembroke the second third fourth fifth there's probably a fucking million of them like, like all the, the way second down the line, duke so. of and also his son like if he if robert young robert is a lord i think mm. his father would have to be like a duke or something mm. like he's the some... duke of <laughs> this hierarchy, yeah. yeah. But just don't look for logic, listeners, in all of this, because uh, yeah. Jessica is just entranced by his poshness and says yes. she can never date a sweet valley boy again. Now she knows what it's like to go out with a nobleman, <laughs> and uh, she's basically Wallace Simpson. But she's like, can I help it if Robert Pembroke took one look at me and fell over, he- fell head over heels for my sexy American style? <laughs> there you go yeah so she's enraptured and is basically just like my god the aristocracy are the best above us all and rightly so mm. uh, so she's just an absolute bootlicker um, yes but uh, Liz then fills Jessica in on her afternoon tea uh, <laughs> with Luke from work she's like oh I'll introduce him to you tomorrow and Jessica's just like don't suppose he's related to royalty <laughs> so she's just completely unimpressed uh, by Luke has absolutely zero interest in <laughs> learning about this guy or meeting him at all but apparently he took Liz on some like literary tour uh, of the city so she had a great time um and uh, yeah apparently luke's read more books than anyone liz has ever met including mr collins <laughs> i will not stand for this libel <laughs> slander my god so liz does catch herself because she does say he's so different from and she kind of trails off and she blushes again and she's like, what am I doing comparing Todd to Luke? Because, oh yeah, Todd. <laughs> oh my. She, she has a pang of guilt, but it does not last long enough. Honestly, object permanence is so not a strong point for these twins. Because <laughs> truly, I can't see him. He does not exist. This isn't happening. It's fine. They truly are like babies. Yeah. Well, Jessica thinks Luke sounds boring and that when she goes out with Lord Pembroke the mm. following night, it'll be limousines all the way. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, she um, she's glad she didn't go for a, host- a hostel boy, which sends Liz <laughs> off on another fucking fantasy. <laughs> and <it's, sighs> and I don't know why I found this so funny, but we're told Luke's pale romantic face faded from Elizabeth's mind and the bronze, bronzed chiselled features of Renee Glees took its place. I almost forgot about Renee, she mused out loud. We never really got to explore our feelings for each other in France. Oh my God, absolutely ridiculous. But Jessica chimes in then and says that she reckons Luke sounds like a dud. (laughs) Whereas Renee, on the other hand, is a total and then trails off because she's like, what's that on your bed? (gasps) And it's a note from Renee with a red rose. (laughs) And uh, it's addressed to Cher Elizabeth. Um, 
I'll be at an embassy function all evening, but I didn't want to waste a minute making a date with you. So he asks her to dinner t- tomorrow night and he knows a wonderful little French cafe and it's his only night off all week and he wants to mm. spend it with you. And says, please yes. leave me a loach, love, Renee. And Jessica, quite funnily, says, sounds like Renee is ready to explore his feelings. <laughs> Yeah, and Liz is like, I'm sure we just both want the same thing, to be very good friends. It's oh, like, shut yeah. up! Clearly, he's leaving roses and saying, share Elizabeth and spending his one fucking night off in the week, like whining and dining you at a French restaurant. <laughs> oh yeah, he just wants to be pals. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. She is in a love triangle already and doesn't even involve her boyfriend. <laughs> she's in a love square I suppose <laughs> that is true love geometry it's above me <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it's so annoying because it's so disingenuous like totally. oh we just yeah. want to be very good friends like you're not just fantasising about him and one other boy yeah because um, she says unlike some people I didn't come to London looking for romance and Jessica speaks for all of us when she says two suitors in 24 hours I'd say that's moving pretty fast for someone who's <laughs> lo- not looking for a romance Poor, poor Todd. <laughs> oh my God, like, here, here. He is so just left for dead in this book. It's ridiculous. Well, Liz tries to picture Todd's coffee brown eyes, but uh, <laughs> it's not really working. She keeps thinking of Luke. Mm-hmm. So they've got a few minutes till dinner. So they head out to buy the evening edition of the journal and they assume Dr. Neville's murder will be on the front page. But when they get a copy of the paper, they they find the crime section is quite far into the paper. Very unlikely, I think. Mm. And uh, Jessica Story is there. Again, we're told that this paper is super intellectual, but the headline is The Fur Flies of Browns. Like, it's a punchy headline, but yeah, this is not a serious paper. Like, it's just a tabloid. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they find the Neville story, but it's not what they expect. That's it. It's this really tiny story. Is it barely even a paragraph? And it absolutely yeah. downplays the entire thing. Uh, so it's just like prominent physician Cameron Neville was killed in his home late Sunday night. He was pronounced dead on the scene by London police. Uh, like memorial service will be held, etc. So like as Jessica kind of points out, you actually can't tell anything from this, like that, that anything gory or, or terrible happened. Uh, Liz is like, you'd have no idea he was actually murdered rather than like, you know, killed accidentally or something, you know, went awry at home. But uh, yeah, so they're kind of puzzled by the fact that this has been so kind of hushed up nearly and like shoved to the back of the paper, uh, especially considering the fuss everybody was making when the story broke. And they just don't understand why Lucy would play it down like this. Yes. Um, but by the way, I mean, again, there's there's a certain ignorance of how the media works because sometimes they do not give details about a crime because they're oh, trying to find out who did it. Who did it, yeah. You know, <laughs> they don't want to give details. So lots of random, you know, mm. uh, deluded people will start claiming that they are the murderers or, you know. There's a reason these things happen, but those reasons do not exist in Sweet Valley. Um, and instead, the big story is all about Princess Eliana, but there there isn't actually any news. It's all just a speculation. Hmm. Yeah, everyone's wondering now, has she been kidnapped? Uh, so they realise that maybe just the the big headlines are just to catch people's eyes and sell more papers. And Liz <gasps> is a bit disappointed because she thinks that this is all very sensationalist for the journal. She thought it was more intellectual than that. And like, it's clearly fucking not. Um, but Jessica's like, well, you know, it's a big story. You can't blame them for like squeezing every fucking inch out of it. But um, 
yeah, so they kind of, yeah, I suppose they are puzzled, but then kind of explain it away that it is just to do with that. But then they also realise that uh, in the story about Princess Eliana, there's an interview with Andrew Thatcher, the London chief of police. Uh, and they suddenly realise that this was the other man that they saw through the window at Dr. Neville's house at the murder. And Jessica literally slaps her forehead and is like, I can't believe I forgot. I was so wrapped up in Robert that uh, that she forgot about Lord Pembroke Senior. He <laughs> was the other man in the house. Mm. So they realise that, you know, the chief of police was investigating Dr. Neville's death. So it's mm-hmm. obviously a big crime. So why was it to give him more attention? And they both mm. agree something fishy is going on. Very fishy. So in the hostel, Portia is sitting alone at a table with her when she's she's so distanced from everybody else that she's holding a book up at eye level so she can't see any of the others. They're not yeah. sullying her view. <laughs> so, so the twins join their new pals, uh, Saint René. And when Liz tosses the folded newspaper onto the table, front page up, uh, you know, showing the photo of Princess Eliana, Lena jumps. Just going to say now, Lena has no chill. Oh, God, none whatsoever. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, they all ask about how the, the the twins got on on their first day at the journal. Did they get a good assignment? Is it going to be really dull? And the twins kind of like exchange a glance and they're like, deadly, yes, but not dull. Um, mm. So they just tell them, yeah, all about Sergeant Bumpo and how ridiculous it is. Like David, the guy from Liverpool is like, is that really his name? And like, yeah, fair <laughs> question, David, because this is fucking stupid. But <laughs> yeah, so they... Uh, they just bang on about that for a bit. And then Emily, yeah. oh yeah, no, uh, is it Jessica uh, says, guess who's taking me out on the town tomorrow night? Uh, and Emily's like, oh, don't tell me you've already met Prince Charming. And Jessica's like, Lord Charming, actually. And uh, regales them all with, with the fact that she's being taken out by Robert, uh, yes. Lord Pembroke's son. Lord Pembroke Jr. Indeed. Um, so while she's waving about her new posh pals, Liz chats with Anina uh, and David. And David is clearly smitten. Um, and really, he really admires not with Liz, thankfully, but with oh, Lena. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like there's no more room in this love square, <laughs> love hexagon. Get out of here, David. <laughs> so they're both all bashful, and Liz thinks that either Lena hasn't noticed that David crush David has a huge crush on her, or she doesn't mm. want to notice. Yeah. But um, when uh, Jessica says that the this hostel rules are going to cramp her style when she goes out on the town with Robert. Um, you know, she, um, Gabriello has an idea. He does. So he, well, he's kind of complaining about the curfew as well because a friend yes. of his uh, is, but he plays bass for this rock band called Lunar Landscape. They're booked at Mondo tonight. Oh my God. <laughs> so he'd love to go hear them, but the show doesn't even start until 11. And honest to God, the thoughts now of a gig starting at 11, I'm just tired thinking about it. And they it. all used to in the early 90s. Oh, I, thank God. God I was young enough, but like... I swear to God, would you be able to? Doors wouldn't open till 11 and the band would be on oh. at like midnight. I just... It, the thought, I, I would cry if I had to go to a gig like that. <laughs> oh we're so old uh, but anyway apparently, apparently Mondo is the hippest club in London right now so Jessica is enraptured by the thoughts of this gig so um, yeah uh, they kind of decide as a group that they're going to sneak out after curfew and go to this gig and go dancing yeah. in Mondo yeah. uh, now Liz thinks he's kidding but then apparently Lena kind of jumps at the suggestion and she's like fucking yeah let's do it and she says I haven't been to Mondo in the longest she checked herself. I mean, I'd really like to hear some live music. 
So hmm, suspicious mm. from Lena because as you say, <laughs> has no fucking chill. Um, yes. No poker face whatsoever from this one. But um, yeah, so the gang kind of decide, yeah, fuck it, let's do this. Uh, and even Liz kind of decides to do so as well. She's like, all right, yeah, cool, count me in. But then they kind of realize that uh, their only problem is, well, not even Mrs. Bates, but Portia because... Yes like no one really wants her to come but they also feel like she could rat them out so they're like okay shit what are we going to do if she gets if she snitches on us we'll all be fucking evicted from this hostel so Liz says look we can't sneak out without her knowing so we need to get her on side so why don't we just ask her to come along and no one really wants to do that but Liz is like no look we'll we'll give it a shot and see what happens so she goes over to Portia who's all like snooty and barely deigns to even look at her um so Liz says look we're just and it's funny because Liz is kind of stuttery and kind of very not her usual like you know confident Wakefield self yes. and she's kind of like, uh, the rest of us were just we were talking about uh, there's a great band playing tonight at Mondo and it's not really like her to be kind of so thrown by somebody yeah. like this but anyway she just explains look we're going to go out after curfew would you like to come along um, and Portia kind of lets Liz squirm which is hilarious and just <laughs> stares at her and she's like you all have a good time I personally prefer not to rub shoulders with the hoi polloi but then she also says look I won't tattle to Mrs Bates uh, that's beneath me too but so. uh, the hoi polloi this seems to be very famously a club full of super rich people so I know uh, but then you see there are explanations for her weird turns of phrase later oh, in the book oh that's true there you are you know but uh but yeah so she does look she's she's not going to rat them out so it's like okay grand yeah. so we don't have to we don't have to deal with her tonight but she's also not going to fucking dab us into mrs bates yes. so liz is like well see if i ever try talking to you again portia albert who do you think you are <laughs> she stomps off she does so later the kids sneak out basically lena fakes sickness and sw- yes. says she wants some aspirin for mrs bates and then she swaps her keys for the front for mrs bates's front door keys mm-hmm. and she'll switch them back in the morning when she returns the packet of aspirin so uh they get outside again have more money than sense <laughs> say, it's walking distance but i say we head to the corner and hail a cab let's do this in style what ridiculous we learned this place is 15 minutes walk away. <laughs> it's very true. Oh my God. But also the cab pulls up in front of a renovated warehouse marked by a neon globe proclaiming Mondo. Like, oh. I'm sorry, but a renovated warehouse. Where is a, it? Also, that's a place full of people chewing the faces off themselves. Oh my God. I hope they've this got This is the water. 90s in London. It's 1993, people. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Um, though in fairness given the clientele it is clearly actually not cool because it's full of posh people exactly that is not a cool place if there's Absolutely fucking royals not. and aristocrats that is that is not the fucking hip crowd it's a bunch of horse-faced sloans basically <laughs> yes, like, exactly absolutely not cool in 1993 negative crack um, so uh, by the way how do these underage kids get in? oh look like <laughs> All 16. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, there is uh, this funky outfits, wild hairstyles and animated faces. And Gabriello leads the way to the dance floor. His friend is called Basil. <laughs> <laughs> he plays bass and his name is Basil. This oh. is so unlikely. Oh, God. But um, yeah, so look. Jessica is having an amazing time. The outfits are outrageous. Uh, she's spotting celebrities here and there and everywhere. Celebrities. celebrities. It's fucking Lady Anne Bingham to, <laughs> who apparently used to date Prince Malcolm. Like, oh God. Um, oh no, she dated. 
Prince Albert's mm. younger brother, Douglas, oh, Lena Corrector. But this is the thing. So Lena does seem to have a lot of knowledge about mm. the royals and the like random aristocrats that are in this place oh that God. just could not be any fun. It just couldn't be. Including um, Percy Camden, the prime minister's son. But <laughs> Lena says, no, that's Harry, the prime minister's nephew. So in real life at the time, first of all, the idea of anyone knowing who the fucking prime minister's nephew was mm. is insane. Secondly, yeah. the prime minister at the time was John Major. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a club full of Tories, just what you want. <laughs> but also, John Major was famously the child of circus folk. So not exactly an aristocrat at all. <laughs> That does not fit in with the view of no. England. Look, fiction, it's a fictional point. royal family, fictional prime minister, fictional fucking London at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily's amused that Lena is on first name terms with all mm. these uh, jet setters. But Lena says, you know, she's been reading the tabloid newspapers. She's been fishing them out of the trash. Very uh, authentic yes. thing. She's poor, you see. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But everyone hits the dance floor, but Lena, David and Liz. And she encourages the two of them to dance because you know, she wants to get them together, but they're too shy. David tries to chat about Liverpool and Lena clearly did no research. Oh, like it was her backstory. None at all. Yeah, like David is kind of talking about some band from Liverpool. Monkey shines, apparently. <laughs> Heard of him. And she's like, uh, no, I don't think so. And he's like, oh, where did you go to hear music? And again, she just doesn't have an answer for anything about Liverpool. She's like, oh, we probably hung out at different places. And he's like, you know, it's not that big a city. Try me. And she just kind of won't really answer any of his questions yeah. and then just kind of gets distracted and kind of sees like I think is it Emily and Jessica come back and she's like seems really relieved that they're back and she's like oh having fun and just tries to change the subject completely um but yeah so they're all just kind of chatting and then one of them spots Princess Gloria (laughs) who apparently is like the Queen's daughter eldest daughter yeah the queen's older daughter she's mm-hmm. 21 uh, and everyone's like awestruck by uh by the sight of of princess gloria but um but lena seems to take a turn she looks ghostly pale and liz is like oh my god are you okay and lena says she doesn't feel well and she'd better go home now so she just like bolts it out of there and liz is like okay i'm gonna go with her it's late maybe we should all go and jess is like i'm not ready to leave yet i want to dance in fairness so, uh, did just get here they did, to be fair. So, yeah, so the rest are going to stay on and dance the night away. But Liz is going to cha- chase after Lena and walk her home so she's not yes. on her own. Yeah, I did like, uh, well, I say like, there was a very uh, big missed opportunity um, just before Lena sees, or just as Lena sees Gloria, hmm. because Liz asks the others, like, you know, you Britons, what do you think of the world? And I was really hoping that David would be a true lefty oh, Liverpoolian, yeah. but sadly, oh. Lena starts faint, practically fainting before he can answer. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't get to see any Republican sentiments expressed at all. And I mean, oh, Republican. That's it. And and you could you could trust the Northern English like to have an opinion about that. Oh, Liverpool, <laughs> please. Yeah, it'd be great. Um. So uh, yeah, Liz wants out of Mondo and finds Liz. Uh, or finds Lena with her woolly cardigan buttoned up to her neck. And I, like, Lena just dressed like some kind of hybrid between an urchin and a librarian. Like she's just the dowdiest character. She's like Annie. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to think that this was grunge chic, but oh my God, it's that not. it absolutely is not. Um, so they have no money for a cab but then they're like oh it's only 15 minutes walk. I was like you imagine even considering getting a cab for a 15 minute walk. Ridiculous. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Lena apologizes for dragging Liz away, uh, but she's like, oh, don't worry, you know, I probably should have an early night because they are you know, working the next day. Mm. And Lena says what a nice bunch it is of you know, at the at the hostel. And Liz takes the opportunity to meddle and praises David. <laughs> but um, when she says, I think he likes you, Nina says, he's a pleasant fellow. So serious, so different from other boys I've known, but I'm not looking for a boyfriend this summer. And Lena or Liz wonders, what are you looking for? And sighs <laughs> that under her plain surface, Lena Smith was really a very complicated girl. Because she doesn't want to go, go out with David. Oh yeah, that's that's complex. That is a <laughs> mysterious character. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you just know that Lena's Liverpudlian accent oh, is appalling. I just, you know it's fucking atrocious. <laughs> I, I doubt she's even trying. No, I bet it's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, maybe I'll give it the old contra. <laughs> That's okay. People do janky fucking Irish accents all the time on podcasts. Oh, yes. It's oh, our this, turn now. <laughs> this whole podcast is my revenge for all the yeah. terrible <laughs> This whole time. We've done 123 episodes out of total revenge and spite. <laughs> I have to say that I'm glad that now we've got, you know, Paul Meskell on the Farrell up in the world stage hmm. with accents that kind of sound like both of us. Yeah, yeah. That is nice, actually. <laughs> Maybe, maybe the rest of the world will learn. Um, well, anyway, a fog descends on Liz and <laughs> Lena, and this is strangely familiar to Liz. <laughs> We're lost, lost in the English fog. <laughs> so she thinks back to the werewolf movie, just like the boys in a scene in that they get lost. So they are lost, basically, yeah. uh, even though Lena seemed to know like she was she knew where she was going. Uh, they kind of get a bit turned around and all this fog uh, really just kind of confuses them a black cat springs out of the mist like classic oh, horror movies yeah. <laughs> and they laugh the whole thing it was like oh a cat it was just a cat it's like oh this is so silly let's keep going and then suddenly lena stops and screams uh and it's it's very that kind of like yes we're in london in the fog and she's screaming and something terrible has happened it's that very london gothic kind of yes vibes uh, <laughs> because there's something on the edge of the sidewalk and again this isn't how you'd react if you saw something like this you'd be like oh no and kind of oh, walk oh. up and then realize what's happened and because i don't think you'd scream you'd no, be really right. upset you would and, yes you know gasp hmm. but you would not let out quote a scream of pure terror that raked elizabeth's nerves with teeth of ice no like that is a completely ridiculous reaction but anyway so they do realize or liz does see that there's something on the edge of the footpath and it's Unfortunately, it's a Aww. tiny crumpled furry body. So they realise that it's a dead dog. Uh, and then when Liz has a closer look, she recognises the collar and realises that it's Poo Poo, Lady <gasps> Wimple's missing Yorkshire Terrier. Uh, but, and this is quite grim. So he's dead, but much like the earlier uh, murder victim, his throat has been ripped out. Well, I hope, Liz, you're regretting being such a prick about Lady go, Wimple's yeah. grief. Yeah. Holding in her giggles at this poor woman. Make a Cruella de Vil jokes. Mm. Well... Not so funny now, are they? <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> well, Lena is really upset. And it's like, it almost looks as if you were attacked by a wild animal. But how could that happen here in London? Lena, let me introduce you to the urban foxes. Fox, 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 fox. I know, as soon as I saw this, I was like, it's foxes. <laughs> yeah. uh, foxes used to come into my sister's back garden in London and climb on top of a garden table and shit on it. 
<laughs> okay, well, that was adorable up to them shitting on the table. <laughs> well, the end of the story is even less adorable because my brother-in-law read that the way to get rid of foxes in your garden is to no. mark the territory no. yourself. No! <laughs> well, I hate this story now. <laughs> it worked! Oh, God. <laughs> So, just saying, listeners, if oh, you God. have a fox problem, you know, just go for the That's up, soldier. <laughs> well, Liz isn't thinking of foxes. Um, I'm also going to say we find out later that in this parallel universe, um, people seem to think that the only thing that could rip the throat out of a small or moderately sized animal is a ravening beast. Absolutely, not like jaws. <laughs> a big dog. No, absolutely not. Uh, but yes, Liz is suitably freaked out by all of this, and the moon is glinting through a ragged break in the clouds, uh, and it's nearly full apparently. And suddenly, the old lady's words of warning are echoing in her head: "Beware the full moon!" <gasps> <gasps> Yikes! My God. Well, later, Lena sleeps, but Jessica or Liz can't. And uh, Jessica's back and um, she, Liz tells her all uh, mm. because she's troubled by the light of the moon coming through her window and by the thought of Poo-Poo's dreadful end. <laughs> Poor old Poo-Poo. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she had her camera and her mini corridor. Uh, so she took photos and recorded a description and Lena rang the police uh, who unsurprisingly weren't terribly interested and said they'd send an animal control person yeah. to collect the body. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they didn't seem to understand he hadn't been hit by a car, that something else had happened to him. And Jess jokes about a dog being killed and this really explains a lot about how they neglect Prince Albert. Aww. She's Prince like, Albert. looks like Poo Poo tried to make friends with the wrong kind of dog. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so she falls asleep but Liz is still worried. Mm. So next day, everyone's tired as after their late night as they shuffle out to their days. And uh, Liz bumps into Renee looking crisp and elegant. And he can't wait for his dinner date with Liz that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emily's amazed how the Wakefield girls are snapping up the boys. <laughs> but uh, when they arrive at the journal, they, say Lu- they see Lucy having a fierce argument with Henry Reeves. <gasps> My goodness, yes. Uh, it's a glass-windowed conference room, apparently. And uh, yeah, apparently Reeves... Uh, or Lucy looks really mad, but Reeves is kind of calm in the face of all of this. Um, he's kind of just quietly watching her pacing and raving. And yeah, the twins are wondering what's going on. And next thing they hear Lucy yelling, I quit. Um, <gasps> and Reeves doesn't even move to stop her or say anything at all. So she like shoots out of the room, like over to her desk and like clears everything off very dramatically. Her heels are clattering on the floor. <gasps> so she's like literally like emptying drawers into like an attache case. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tony kind of comes over and tries to placate her a bit he's like okay what's going on like take a deep breath because she explains look I'm quitting don't try and talk me out of it um but yeah she's like you know damn well was after setting me off one of the most shocking and mysterious murders in years and Reeves hides the story at the back of the paper so Tony tries to reason with her and he's like well look maybe he didn't think the murder story you know didn't rate whatever and Lucy then rages rages that apparently her piece was edited but like he didn't just trim it he absolutely butchered it and left out all the pertinent details such as and then Tony kind of clears his throat to like allude to the fact that there are two 16 year old idiots uh-huh. standing there the whole time so they kind of have a, like a, a quieter conversation but like 
basically, yeah, Lucy is fuming that her story was obviously downplayed, not by her and like shoved to the back of the paper. And she's yeah. uh, she's accusing the paper of, of a cover up. Uh, and uh, yeah, Tony is, is trying to calm her down and, and, you know, not have her throw away her career on a whim. But um, but yeah, Lucy's just not having it. She's like, don't defend him, you know, as well as I do, that Reeves is in a sweat about the competition from the post. Uh, and apparently this isn't the first time he's and she's cut off uh, again to try and be quiet. But uh, yeah, the twins are like, oh, my God, a cover up at the London Journal and Henry <gasps> Reeves himself is behind it is what they've basically taken away from this argument slash conversation and furious whispers. But um, yeah, so it's all it's all scandal immediately as they walk into the office that morning. It really is. And it's so dramatic. Uh, we should take a little break uh, because, as you know, we are proud members of the Headstuff Podcast Network and we like to spread the word about other shows on the network. And this week it's uh, it's an old fave. It's Agony Rants. Yes. So on Agony Rants, we have National Fucking Treasure and Eurovision actual winner, uh, <gasps> Niamh Kavanagh and our lovely pal comedian, Garrod Farrelly, who oh. formerly of this parish used to <laughs> work on our show for us. Uh, very sure patient did. man. Very patient, very lovely man. <laughs> so the pair of them get down to the bottom of the problems that their listeners send in. Uh, if they don't solve all of your life's problems, you'd at least laugh away your worries. And I must say, it is tremendous crack like truly they will tell people to cop on they they will also have good advice they have great stories they just have the most amazing friendship it's so cute and so funny uh, and they're just a wonderful double actually like, so unlikely on paper but it really really works uh yeah and we highly recommend having a listen to agony rants and you can have a little listen to it here now Hi, I'm Gerald Farrelly. And I'm Neve Kavanagh. And we have been friends for a very long time. And we regularly solve each other's problems. And now we'd like to solve yours in our podcast, Agony Rants. It's a weekly show where we offer you unwavering support. It's true. And it's the place to go if you need a place to vent or to get thoughtful advice. It's a serious lawsuit waiting to happen. Now, Grode, there isn't a problem that can't be helped by having a comedian and a Eurovision winner dissected before your very ears. Agony Rants is 40 minutes with two friends who just want to listen to you. Neve wants to listen. I dip in and out. Agony Rants has a new episode every Monday and you'll find us wherever you do your listening. And now, back to foggy old London town. <laughs> Hello, governor. <laughs> oh my God. Also, we're nearly at two hours. Chim, chim, and I just want to point out we are only halfway through this book oh, and we fuck. are already clocking in nearly two hours. We, we better race through this. <laughs> well, I think, I don't know whether we will, you know, we'll be able to get away without doing some two-parters oh, as this goes on because seriously, there's so much insanity. Oh. But um, basically, the twins asked Tony what they should do and he's like, well, you're going to be back on my beat now and he's yes. got an upper crust tea party for Jessica to report on. Um, what, like, reporting on tea parties like in somebody's house just I a bunch of people know. sitting around having tea and little sandwiches and Jessica sitting there with a fucking notebook <laughs> taking notes Richard Chinchilla <laughs> <laughs> well she reveals that now she has an in with uh, the aristocracy because she's uh, dating little Lord Pembroke and Tony is somehow impressed um, and uh, obviously he knows uh you know, uh, Robert, because even though he doesn't toe the line as much as Lord P. Senior would like, 
Ridiculous. God. And apparently he uh, he has sown his wild oats, but uh, but um, uh, old Bob worries he won't you know mature into being a proper lord of the manor and newspaper owner. And Tony Frank, what the fuck, Tony says, I say, give the boy a chance. Blood will tell. Very fucking weird turn of phrase there. Is this is the Daily Telegraph. Like, what? How right wing is Tony? <laughs> like, what? They're like, oh, blood will out, you know. Honestly, <laughs> he's got so breathe. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Tony likes Robert and hmm. says he's clearly got a good eye. Ugh, grim. <laughs> favorite um so he's like oh what did tony leave anything for the twins to do and uh he says ah yes uh lucy left a note liz and jessica scotland yard shoplifting chauffeur case and liz jessica's like oh no don't tell me i'm afraid so says tony it's a sergeant bumpo case (laughs) (laughs) this is not how crime writing works <laughs> sure it is. Anyway, <laughs> later Liz is writing up the poo poo case, and Luke touches her shoulder, and she nearly jumps out of her skin. And he says, "I did it again. I'm always scaring you." Luke is such a creep. <laughs> so <laughs> creepy. <laughs> if anyone's seen the classic uh, horror film Peeping Tom, I'm he, he makes me think of the protagonist in that. Oh. But. Uh, <laughs> When she tells him about Poo Poo's uh, tragic demise, uh, Luke is like jagged as if, and she says, "What? What, what do you mean? You know, what? What's that mind you of?" He's like, "Nothing, nothing." Um, but uh, then he has a suggestion, and we learn that Book Liz is just as crap at her internship as he is. <laughs> Yeah, so he's, his suggestion is that she finished typing up her story and then ask Tony if he'll give you the afternoon off. I'll take you sightseeing. And fortunately, Tony's amenable to the idea. He's probably just like, yes, get this girl out of my way. I have actual work to be doing. He's babysitting these idiots. So he's like, yeah, go on, get out of here. Um, yeah, so Luke reassures Liz that she should forget about last night and that London is a warm and delightful city by daylight. Well... Liz isn't convinced to so go to Westminster Westminster Abbey which she somehow feels sinister because lots of people are buried there um, <laughs> even though it is literally entirely full of tourists and is bustling oh and very bright <laughs> I know they make it sound like they have the place of themselves and it's all like hushed and shadowy and it's like no it is like, buzzing with cameras and tourists <laughs> at all times <laughs> and then they go to the Tower of London and Luke basically gives her a history lesson lesson yeah. that goes on for some time and you know talks about beheadings and the princes mm-hmm. of the tower and everything and at one stage Liz says I can't imagine living in such a brutal time. It's like you live in a country with the death penalty, Liz. Still very brutal. <laughs> so true. Jesus. But yeah, basically, anywhere he brings her, it ends up being kind of grim and gloomy, even though he's supposed to be cheering her up. So he's just not very good at this. Um, although it does sound like quite a nice like tour around London, in yeah. fairness, of sightseeing. It's like I'd be into all this. Anyway, Historical sites, it sounds cool. Absolutely. It does. But look, Liz is just kind of still feeling kind of shook and you know. Still has a grim feeling about all of this and just feels like everything is a bit a bit spooky at the minute. So he's got one more place he wants to bring her. And she's like, oh, as long as it doesn't have any graves or dungeons. So he's like, oh yeah, she's like, I've had my share of old bones for the day. Thank you very much. So Luke grins. He's like, no old bones, I promise. It's history in a way, but just for fun. And a few minutes later, as we described on the cover, they stood on the sidewalk in front of the wax museum because for some reason the ghostwriters are now obsessed with wax museums. <laughs> Did not see that coming. I've got to say. Honestly, same. <laughs> I'm guessing this is like Madame Tussauds, but 
they oh, yeah. can't say that. Probably, but, yeah. Anyway, Liz fucking loves it. Um, they she she looks at the model of Princess Eliana, the Queen's yeah. youngest daughter. I wonder where she is. Does she look familiar, Elizabeth? Any anything there? No, anything? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> but it feels like they're going back in time as the as the you know various figures on display sort of go further mm. back into history. Insanely, there are actual candles. Oh my god! In a wax museum? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Come on now! Come on! <laughs> and then they turn a bend. And Liz is. I, I'm actually troubled by how childish Liz is. <laughs> this is it, because she's getting kind of creeped out as by the path getting dimmer and these fucking candles turning up, replacing the electric lighting in what universe. Uh, so it's all very mysterious and suspenseful. So they turn a corner. She clutches Luke's arm as she does on the cover and cries, a werewolf. <laughs> oh, it's so lifelike, Liz thinks. And she buries her face against Luke's jumper because she's so terrified of it. She's like, let's get out of here. We've seen this werewolf. It is not that scary. It's hilarious. All, it's wax. It won't hurt you. Like this is five. Oh my god, it's so silly. But uh, yeah, Luke <laughs> suddenly turns kind of hilarious because he's like, oh the werewolf is one of the most fascinating creatures <laughs> in all of folklore. <laughs> It's all very fucking portentous at the minute. And he's like, he just goes into a big explainer about werewolves. A lecture <laughs> on oh werewolves. Basically, yes. Uh, bang on about the full moon, of course, is when the werewolf comes into possession of his greatest powers, his greatest strength and ferocity. It's when he kills. By the way, Liz never questions for a single second whether this no. is just making up bollocks. Oh my God. Because yeah, she's kind of nervously laughing. She's like, oh, you seem to know an awful lot about this. I guess you've seen more than one werewolf movie. And he's like, it's an interest of mine. I picked it up from my mother. <laughs> she was apparently intrigued by the legends, collected books and artifacts relating to the subject. Luke pulled a wolf fang oh. keychain from his pocket and held it up. This belonged to her. Do you think it's a strange hobby, Elizabeth? <laughs> what is this Oedipus werewolf complex like it's so such cool. a weirdo oh my god <laughs> it's like I'd understand if you thought it odd <laughs> I'm sure your mother doesn't believe in werewolves <laughs> but <laughs> I mean I love that we just decided this is what he sounds like now <laughs> he's such a creep but I've never been able to forget something my mother once said to me. She believed that to acknowledge the reality of the werewolf was merely to acknowledge our own, our own dual nature. Mankind is those who both hell. We are bad as well as good. We all have an animal side, Elizabeth. <laughs> Liz is like nodding, just like watching him say all this. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Acknowledging the duality of man is one thing. Fucking werewolves is something else entirely. Like, what are you doing? That's even matter because he's like, like vampires, werewolves are immortal and indestructible. They often pass their curse on to their unfortunate victims who become undead. I mean, do they become undead? Anyway. No, um, I'm not a Mortal, that's bullshit. Yeah. They age like a man does. So yes. come on. Isn't there any way? <laughs> Luke. Well, too optimistic. But I were told, isn't there any way to stop them? <laughs> Wondered Elizabeth's like this is a really rational thing to b- She's ponder. Just- 
the immediate buy-in is so funny. Like, there's no like rational journalist brain kicking in here at oh all God. for Liz. It's gas. It's amazing because uh, Luke says the curse can only be stopped if the bloodline is severed. So it's by <laughs> fire or silver bullet. So Luke spoke matter-of-factly as if there were no doubt in his mind that werewolves are real. Elizabeth knew she should be sceptical, but after an afternoon spent immersed in the shadowy side of England's past, she didn't feel sceptical. So oh after you've heard about like Mary Queen of Scots and the mm-hmm. Little Princes in the Tower or whatever, yeah. you now believe in werewolves. Pretty much, yeah. She's like, history is full of murderous <laughs> monsters, human and non-human, she thought, still staring, mesmerised at the figure of the werewolf. Who am I to say werewolves don't exist? Like, Liz, I kind of love this from you because we are getting, we're in a werewolf book, you know? You don't want everyone going around saying, there's no such thing as werewolves. You want someone to be an idiot and believe in it. <laughs> but just again, the immediate kind of like, oh my God, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who is to say werewolves don't exist? Oh, jeez. <laughs> so it's all cold when they come out and Luke invites Liz to dine at uh, yet another local pub and she asks if his dad is expecting him and he goes I'd head to come and go as I please <laughs> you wouldn't wait for me we rarely have a meal together <laughs> I eat with mother on the grave <laughs> Well, they go to a pub that serves a hearty stew with freshly made bread. Can you, uh, these these pub ovens are just doing some business. Yeah. They must smell lovely. I tell you, yeah. I mean, Not, no, <laughs> they don't. Especially in the nineties, they would smell of fags and farts. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, she tells them all about Lucy quitting and why and about uh, Mr. Thatcher, head of police, and Lord Pembroke Senior being at the crime scene and the um, throat being torn out mm-hmm. and uh, Luke's eyes were wide and frightened. And it sounds like the work of, and we're told, a draught of clavier brushed her bare arms. Her whole body trembled. A werewolf! And then he's like, and a dog will bark at a werewolf. Poo-poo may have antagonised him and we're told the theory was incredibly far-fetched but Luke managed to be very convincing really? okay I guess she's just taken in by his fucking Victorian ghost Timothy Chalamet act (laughs) I guess it's nice we have a male Victorian ghost well that's true actually yeah it changes it up a bit it does well Liz wonders how Lord Pembroke is involved and Luke spits out the name Pembroke uh, startling Liz with his vehemence uh, so he's sure that Pembroke is the, the man behind this cover up mm-hmm. we cut to the hostel where Jessica is borrowing a silk blouse of course oh my god one of Liz's of course um, but yeah she's trying to find something to wear uh, mm-hmm. because she's going out with her fancy man Um but yeah, they're trying to find something for her to wear. Oh no, she kind of laments the fact that Portia is such a bitch because uh, she has uh, this incredible wardrobe apparently. So like if only yes. Jess could borrow something from her. So she kind of starts rooting through Portia's side of the fucking walk-in wardrobe. Um, and they kind of go through like how, how much lovely stuff she has. She has all these amazing accessories and they kind of get to the back of the closet and they find like a hanging garment bag. And when they open it up, it's this incredible like emerald green taffeta party dress. <laughs> but they, as her and Emily are looking at it, they realise that it couldn't be Portia's because it's apparently got a teeny little waist on it. Apparently it wouldn't even fit Jessica. <gasps> um, and Portia's too tall for this dress. So they can't figure out 
whose it is. They're like, well, it's not mine. It's not Liz's. So it must be. And they kind of come to the conclusion it's Lena's. But uh, yeah, they kind of try to figure it out where it could have come from. Uh, so Jess is like, maybe somebody donated it to the homeless shelter. And then Emily's like, maybe she doesn't finish the sentence. <laughs> and Jessica goes, maybe she stole it. Oh, the poor, poor, deprived thing to do something so desperate. <laughs> like, they're so condescending. And also, like, Lila didn't get arrested for shoplifting and frame you, if I remember oh right. So true. Um, but yeah, they end up kind of shoving the dress back into the press because they hear somebody coming. Um, they do. But by yeah. the way, before this, very disturbingly, Liz, uh, Jessica dismisses the thought of wearing uh, a sort of girly dress belonging to Liz that Robert probably thinks I'm at least 18 and Oof. I don't want to disillusion him. Eek. No. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> let's not think about that too much. No, so, well, Mrs. Bates comes in and Emily basically turns into Bertie Wooster and says, What ho, Mrs. Bates? <laughs> like, Emily's Australian. What is Where's- happening here? <laughs> oh, God. But yes, Mrs. Bates is here to lay down the law because she's heard that Jessica has a date uh, and she hopes that she and her young man won't forget about the curfew. Uh, so Jessica plays it perfectly and she's mm. like, Oh, thank you for the reminder. And she's all sweet uh, and says you know I'll be sure to tell my young man Lord Robert Pembroke because she knows that Mrs Bates is obsessed with the upper class mm-hmm. so she's amazed to find out this and Jessica's like yes Robert Jr of course Lord <laughs> P Sr would be much too old for me why he's probably as old as you oh, <laughs> and, oh God. and Mrs Bates is awestruck and basically says oh don't worry I won't lock the door tonight so basically so Jessica can go and have sex with the Lord Jr oh, pretty much yeah but also how gassed that like if they don't don't come home in time for the curfew. She basically just locks these children out of their accommodation. <laughs> the the <laughs> what sort of youth hostel is this? Like how? Like they're clearly underage because mm-hmm. and and I I don't think any youth hostels have um have curfews. I mean no. It's been a long time since I've stayed one, but I do not remember no, them. It's it's more like an old timey boarding house or something, yes. the way it's kind of being run, rather than yes. an actual youth hostel, which is run by other youths who are like <laughs> backpackers yeah. from Canada or Australia yeah. or whatever. Like it's run by people who are all in or about the same age yeah. that are staying there. But like, yeah, this is this is just like yeah, old timey fucking <laughs> Victorian boarding house <laughs> for young ladies. <laughs> Well, um, we got to Luke, Luke and Liz. Oh my God, Liz is so awful here. Um, Luke bids Je- uh, Liz goodnight and there's tension between them and Liz thinks, I want him to kiss me. She's glad that the shadows hid her blush. I can't <laughs> wait to see how many blushes there <laughs> It's noticeably high. It is. Even when you're not making, you know, making a note of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he kisses, kisses her cheek. Liz feels electric current. And she feels that this kiss was perfectly chill and proper but it held the unmistakable promise of a real kiss in the not so distant future (laughs) and then she walks up to the door of the hostel and who should be standing there justifiably extremely pissed off like this is so shit so yeah she turns and goes oh Renee because of course Renee his one fucking night off all week was waiting for her uh she never fucking showed obviously because it sounds like it's pretty late in the evening Uh by the time she gets back so he's just standing there and she's like oh I completely forgot about her plans I'm so sorry we were sightseeing and I lost track of time and like she smiles apologetically but Renee's expression remains stiff and cool and she's kind of like I'm sorry let's make a rain date how about tomorrow and Renee quite rightly is like I'm busy this was my only free evening all week and Liz kind of bites 
bites her lip and she's like, oh, well, and he's like, I have some paperwork to do. See you, Liz. And just like turns on his heel and stalks away. And then Liz is kind of like, oh, I guess I really let him down. Maybe I just hurt his pride. And then she's like, either way, he overreacted. It was a simple mistake. And it's not like he's my boyfriend. He doesn't have any claim on me. And it's like, no, he doesn't have any claim on you, Liz. But also there's basic fucking manners. Like, this was incredibly rude of you. Incredibly rude. You arranged to meet him. You forgot about him. You didn't even have a good excuse. It wasn't um, a simple mistake. It was just Mm. absolute thoughtlessness. There you go. You didn't really apologise. You were just like, oh shit, oh, I lost track of time. Like Terrible. That, like, like, that an apologetic smile didn't just kind of brush over this whole thing and that he wasn't like just taken in by it immediately. And she's like, oh, well, this is his problem. He's, you know, clearly a big jerk. And it's like, no, dude, you're an asshole. <laughs> it's kind of like how she was with Todd, the last, yeah. you know, the, with the Bruce stuff. was like, <laughs> he's so possessive. Why is he acting like this when I'm about to snog somebody in a song? <laughs> What is his problem? It's like, you're the asshole, Liz. Jesus. Well, uh, she goes inside and then she hears uh, Portia on the phone. Um, and she's talking to somebody and saying, no, daddy, I haven't landed a part yet, but I'm going to keep on trying. And uh, she's conf- Liz is confused because, of course, Portia famously has this role in A Common Man. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is she lying to her dad? Is she lying to everybody in the hostel? But um Liz is just too tired to ponder this one. So she goes to the library in the hostel and instead of being filled with like Stephen King or Jackie Collins or like books that people have been reading while hosteling and left there, it is full of leather bound volumes. (laughs) It's basically a Mrs. Bates' fucking private library (laughs) because Liz ends up picking out like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde to read. And like, again, it sounds like this really like opulent little fucking version of this book uh, rather than, as you say, like bashed up copies of The Shining or <laughs> Maeve Binchy. Like, let's be real here. By the way, listeners, pay attention to the book she's chosen. Maybe that's hmm. foreshadowing. Interesting. Hmm. But uh, anyway, she can't concentrate on the book. She keeps thinking of the mysteries of London and werewolves <laughs> and Luke. So meanwhile, Jess is in a limo after a fancy feast, and the chauffeur asks where they'll go next. And uh, Robert's all fashion is so ephemeral. Last week's hip spot will be Desidornail this week. <laughs> so he wants to try Club USA. The names of these places are <laughs> hilarious. Oh my God. So, yes, the driver takes them to Club USA. There's um, bright neon lights, and li- Jessica feels like a movie star when they arrive. Uh, and of course, like as soon as Pembroke gets out of the car, the bouncers are like waving him on, and there's a huge crowd waiting to get in. So, he's real cheesy, and he's like, Stick with me, kid, and we'll go places <laughs> to Jessica. Um, so, yeah, again, it's this like, I guess, hotspot, even though, again, there's a lot of fucking young royals around. So it's like, no, this would be no fun at all. They're all just Sloan Rangers, basically. They're all, like, titled and, uh, like, Dukes and Lady Amanda, Lord Charles Darlington. There'd be a bunch of really boring, cokey nightmares like, let's be real. (laughs) And Jessica starts laughing and Robert is all like, you think it's silly and pretentious, don't you? This antiquated social system of ours. Like, I'm not denying that, you know, the Duke of Westminster is still like one of the richest people in Britain. And like Mm -hmm. these poshos do have, in many cases, actual vast wealth and are like big landlords still exploiting 
the workers. However, the way they talk in this book really suggests like this antiquated social system of ours implies that like they have serious political, you know, capital that like everybody is going, oh, what's Lady Catherine Rangely doing this week? Like it's... You know, this is like the time of the poll tax riots. Like this, the whole oh, country God. is not obsessed with uh, with these tops no. um, in the way that is presented in this book. True. But yeah. Jessica goes a little flight of fancy about what if Sweet Valley had titles. Yes, she thinks it's hilarious and starts listing out oh, Lord Winston Egbert and Lady Maria and Lady Amy. And of course, Lila would insist on being queen. Uh, and she mischievously says, I could be the Countess of Calico Drive. Uh, so Robert is all charmed by her, by her and is like, oh, I actually envy you, equality minded, unstuffy Americans. Yeah, because there's no equality minded uh, British people. <laughs> and <laughs> never been strikes or any kind of moves for fairness <laughs> in all of that country. <laughs> and again, he's from a country with the NHS and <laughs> at the time, free third level education. <laughs> Seriously, like, much more equality minded than anything in the States at that point. <laughs> Well, he talks uh, talks about being sent off to Eton at an early age, that he was booted out of six of the finest schools um, in, in England, um, and uh, before he ended up in one that wasn't full of overbred, conformist, gutless ninnies. And Liz, uh, or Jessica says, she'd like Sweet Valley High then. There are a few ninnies, but lots of other types of people. I mean, really, Jessica? Mm. <laughs> There's very much one type of person, Sweet Valley High. <laughs> and they are ninnies. <laughs> so true so she asks him what an English lord does and he says that his father thinks that they should manage the estate and the family business interests and then marry some rich boring girl and keep up the good old Pembroke name uh, but he has different ideas and Jessica thinks she's falling in love <gasps> my goodness and then yeah he asks if she's free tomorrow night and she nods and he's like good and how about this weekend so he invites her to spend the weekend at Pembroke Manor oh, his family's country sake. seat apparently it's an easy train ride from London so he says look you can bring your twin sister and her beau if she has one <laughs> so Jessica is like swooning completely enamoured by this idea she's like absolutely I would love to oh my god uh, and he's like oh I know my mother would be so delighted to renew her acquaintance with you and apparently Sergeant Bumpo actually managed to recover her mink that time <laughs> so he's in the good books but yeah so Jessica's uh, eyes are growing misty at the thoughts of riding around the English countryside on horseback with Robert and how he's going to want to show her every inch of Pembroke land I'll say uh, because <laughs> someday it would be her home too and she thinks I'd give up Sweet Valley in a minute Lady Jessica Pembroke she thought with a rapturous eye no doubt about it it's my destiny <laughs> oh i do love a jessica i'm sorry we don't get more jessica fantasies because mm. you might remember the lady jessica oh my god <laughs> whereas this is actually you know it's not that unrealistic well it is unrealistic but at least she's <laughs> she's gone on in with an aristocrat who is actually a lord or at least the son of a lord <laughs> whereas before it was just entirely based on absolutely nothing <laughs> Well, we cut back to the hostel and there's a phone call for Liz from America and she thinks it's Ned and Alice. Uh, no! No, it isn't. No, it's not. It's Todd. But I did I did laugh because she is so excited when she thinks it's her parents and I was like, of course your parents haven't called. They don't give a shite. <laughs> yeah, your kids are on their own and staying in a hostel on the other side of the world. But like, out of sight, out of mind. Have they checked in at all with their two underage children on the other side of the world? Guess not. That's fine. That's very um, uh, in character because, you know, they were the same when they were both away for a whole week. Very true. In the last <laughs> yeah. book. Jesus. 
Well, uh, Todd is really, you know, delighted to talk to her and she tells him all about the murder stuff, but she does not mention Renee and Luke. And when he says he misses her so much, she feels a rush of love and says she misses him too. And Mm -hmm. he's like, don't forget about me, okay? Never, Elizabeth promised. He's going to miss that, break that promise in about five minutes. (laughs) Um, So uh, she, you know, they bid each other farewell and say they love each other. But when she Mm -hmm. hangs up the phone, she, even admits to herself, she had told Todd everything that happened since she arrived in London, except for all the Renee and Luke stuff. She's like, I just kind of, Left them out. Is that as bad as lying? In this case, it absolutely is. <laughs> That's it. I'm just kind of trying to reason it out. And she's like, oh you know, he'd want me to make new friends and some of them are bound to be boys. There's nothing wrong with that. Even though like she also knows Todd wouldn't be happy to learn she was going out on dates. Like, of course. And you wouldn't be happy if it was the other way around. Um, and then she thinks maybe after tonight it wouldn't be hard to stay on a platonic level with Renee. And it's like, yeah, because he wants fucking nothing to do with you now. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, Liz, you think? <laughs> But what about Luke? So she kind of wanders back to the bedroom anyway, finds Portia doing her extremely elaborate nighttime routine, Mm -hmm. which is great. So she kind of flings herself on her bed and she's sighing and feeling sad about Todd and trying not to think about Luke uh, and how much she wants him to kiss her. Um, So she sounds so annoying here because she is just sighing heavily, like (laughs) without saying anything. So much so that Portia actually glances up and is like, is anything the matter? And Liz is kind of surprised. She's like, oh my God, is she actually talking to me? This is really weird. Uh, And then decides she doesn't really want to like talk about her feelings with someone like Portia who never gives her the time of day. But uh, Liz just kind of says, oh, I'm just a bit homesick and Portia's kind of surprisingly nice and she's like oh you are an awfully long way from home and Liz just kind of says you know I'm just used to talking over my day with my parents and it's weird (laughs) now that they're well look I know (laughs) but we've got to move on through this book (laughs) she's like oh I feel a bit adrift Um, and Portia's like oh that's kind of nice that you have such a close relationship with your parents like and they actually take an interest in you she's really amazed at this she is she's very kind of yeah wants to know more about this and Liz is kind of like yeah sure and actually as she's kind of chatting she idly picks up the sun the the eyeglasses that lena wears and she like lifts them to her eyes and to her surprise they don't affect her vision at all because the lenses are totally clear and not actually prescription lenses and she's like oh that's weird um but yeah she kind of chats like boringly about how brilliant her parents are uh with portia and uh you know the efforts that they make to spend time with their kids and portia's like oh i thought families like that only existed in the movies but uh Liz's like oh you know we're not that exciting or anything not like you and it's so exciting you're following in your father's footsteps and then portia kind of snaps back to mm. her usual kind of way where she just doesn't give a shit about anybody and she's like oh you know maybe someday we'll have a chance to perform together and kind of just turns back to her like cold cream and whatever it is she's doing but um liz is kind of puzzled by this because She's like, God, did Portia just become a totally different person there for a couple of minutes? Or did I totally imagine the kind of warmth that she was feeling from her? So she's kind of puzzled and also disappointed by this like weird development in uh, in Portia's personality. Yes. Uh, and uh, she doesn't have much time to think about it because um, she's falling asleep soon afterwards when Jessica comes in, wakes everybody up Um <laughs> Portia is widely pissed off being woken up, like just for yeah. her play is about to start. Fair. So the um, the twins and Lena go down to the kitchen for a midnight feast. And Jessica reveals that Robert and herself totally pigged out at Le Mouton Noir. And I was like, the black sheep, like, is that a reference to something? Or is it like, he's the black sheep of the family? But oh. um, uh, Lena says oh that's fancy because of course she knows all about high society hmm. locations <laughs> yeah. and um, 
Liz is just calls Robert a rich and pampered aristocrat. But um, when Jessica reveals they've got an invitation to Pembroke Manor, uh, she's like, well, maybe you wouldn't stoop to ride the horse of a rich and pampered aristocrat. And Liz says she'd consider it. Hmm. Um, and uh, Jessica says that, you know, she can bring a date and why not Renee? And Liz's like, well, that's not going to happen. Um <laughs> But she says, look, and I'm not going to bring Luke either. In fact, I don't want to go. I don't have any desire to stay in a house full of strangers. And uh, Jessica's basically like, they're posh. So uh, it'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, she's got a really weird take on Uh, fancy people (laughs) in England because she's like, oh, you know, all you have to do is look at him to know what kind of person he is. And Liz is like, being rich doesn't automatically make you a good person any more than being poor makes you a bad person. Uh, So she's just like, you know, this guy sounds conceited and sufferable uh, and he has you wrapped around his finger just because he has the word Lord in front of his name. And then Lena kind of chimes in and she's like, oh, Rob's not a bad sort. And the two (laughs) kind of look at her like, what the fuck would you know? (laughs) And she's kind of, actually, do you know what? In the book, it does say, what I mean is he doesn't appear to be a bad sort. Lila amended. (gasps) Yes! So even the ghostwriter got confused. I don't feel so bad now. Stupid names. So she kind of covers up her uh, her slip by saying, oh, you know, he doesn't make it into the gossip columns nearly as often as some of the others do. So Jessica feels um, like she's won this round and she's like, see, Liz, you're just jealous. But I'll tell you one thing right now. Nothing is going to keep me away from Pembroke Manor this weekend. So later when Lena's in the loo, Jessica's like, do you think there's anything funny about her? And uh, mm. she can't put her finger on it, but she knows like it's the, you know, it's the fake glasses. And, uh, <laughs> it's just not right. Including mm. the nightgown she's wearing tonight with all that fancy lace. It must oh, have God. been expensive. Like for fuck's sake, Lena, you could have just gone to Marks and Spencer's even and got like, a <laughs> pair of plain pajamas. <laughs> So uh, Jessica thinks that maybe somebody gave it to her and uh, the only thing out about her is that she could be a knockout if she tried. But it looks like she's mm. coming out of her way to be dowdy. Hmm. So Liz changes the subject and reveals that Luke thinks a werewolf is on the prowl, which understandably makes Jessica burst out laughing. I mean, fair, yeah. Because she's like, Jessica, or Jessica's like, Liz, I was just kidding when I said that. Honestly, all that poetry has addled both of your brains. <laughs> I mean... That could be an explanation. But Liz is like, something very strange is going on and Lord Pembroke Senior knows what it is and he's making Henry Reeves and the police department hush up about it. The obvious solution, of course, to this is werewolves. I mean, <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so um, Je- Jessica defends the Pembrokes in general and Liz is like, look, just don't mention any of this crime drama to Robert until we've mm. done some more sleuthing to find out what the hell's yes. going on. And yeah. uh, Jessica says, um, well, yeah, sure. But remember that Lucy said this isn't the first time that some crimes have been covered up or played down. Mm -hmm. So they're determined to uncover the truth. Uh So the next day they arrive early at the journal offices. And for the second time in just a few books, we have some microfiche action. (laughs) Gotta love the microfiche. Also, it's quite funny because they sort of sneak into like the research department and sit down at the microfiche machine. And Liz is like, oh, good, it's empty. I just as soon not to have to explain to anybody what we're doing. And it's like, I'm pretty sure no one would give a fuck what the interns are doing looking up microfiche. It's just like, yeah, that looks like boring intern work. That's fine. It's literally the most convincing intern work they could be doing. Honestly, way more convincing than running around after a fucking sergeant and taking notes about cases. Like While he's working. It's the only time they are actually acting like interns is when they're up to something. And they go, oh, I hope nobody catches us. It's like, no one's going to fucking care. 
Well, they tried to find, this is so spurious, but anyway, they tried to find crimes that look like they've been played down. And they find a case headlined, Nurse Dies on the Job. Just like again, these are such tabloidy headlines, Definitely. and it basically says a nurse died, but uh, in a robbery. But it doesn't say how she was killed. Mm. And um, again, they often don't do this because it can prejudice an investigation. Of course, um, yeah. But anyway, uh, Liz thinks it's cover up, and they have to talk to Lucy about it. Um, but you know how will they do that? Because mm-hmm. she's quit her job. They decide they'll just turn up at her house. <laughs> totally normal <laughs> because they're kind of they're go- they decide they're going to go to Tony because maybe he knows where she lives yeah. um, and Jess is like well what if they get mad like Tony and Lucy would have to tell them we were sneaking around uh, but Liz is like look they'll overlook it it's a pretty small crime compared to murder we're covering up a murder so they're, <laughs> they're on their way to Tony and they bump into Luke um, so Liz is like oh I think we should tell him we may need his help and uh, Jessica's like yeah whatever but, you know, she wants, she kind of thinks if Liz wants to bring her little crush along for the ride, fine with me. So they fill him in on the whole story and reckon that Lucy might be the, the one that holds the key to this puzzle. So, yes, yeah, so the three of them basically go up to Tony and say that they want to talk to him about something important about Dr. Neville's murder. So they say, look, we know Lucy quit because Reeves didn't print the real story. Um and we, we know what really happened because we were there. So they fill him in on all their fucking illegal wrongdoings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Tony's like, ridiculously, Tony is like, oh, this sounds very fishy. I know Lucy sincerely believes something is amiss here at the paper and felt strongly enough about it to quit. So he's like, right, she'd want to hear what you have to say. I'll take you to her. <laughs> so he does. And uh, Lucy answers the door and says, Frank. Because that's his surname, remember, it is I, It is slightly confusing that she calls oh, yeah. him by his surname, but her, his surname is a first name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she says, Frank, twins, Luke. <laughs> and he sa- Tony says, I'm just the chauffeur. The children have something urgent to discuss with you, and I'm glad someone's remembered their children. Me too. This is the first time they referred to his children, and I was kind of like, God, yeah, like they truly are. I know we say it a lot, but no one else in the fucking book does. <laughs> So they ask Lucy about the nurse and if she was mangled like the doctor and, you know, wasn't a cover up. And Lucy rightly stares in disbelief at Liz and is like, you make darn good reporters. <laughs> and uh, she says, yes, this this poor nurse was uh, had her throat ripped out and mm. uh, everybody is like faint, like looking faint and putting their hands yeah. to their own throats and... Lucy has a theory it's a serial killer because they have distinctive signatures and this one is the clawed and mutilated throat um, and then she thinks Lucy says the serial killer is on the loose there's no question about it I know the police and Scotland Yard have come to the same conclusion Scotland Yard are the police they are the <laughs> one and the same <laughs> So, uh, yeah, she thinks that they're all dragging their feet on someone's orders. So, of course, she's just been told there's a serial killer. So Liz assumes the most ridiculous thing. Thinks maybe Luke Luke is right about the werewolf. (laughs) Werewolf, ridiculous. Oh, my God. So Tony's kind of trying to do a little bit of devil's advocate or something where he's like, oh, they might be keeping quiet so it's not to panic the public. And Lucy gets annoyed and she's like, the public have a right to know how else can people protect themselves. And um, Elizabeth is kind of shivering, just remembering all the gory details of everything and then tells Lucy about um, Poo Poo the dog and how he died in a similar manner. And Lucy's like, it's a serial killer, all right. Um, it kills so, dogs as well, like as part dogs. of a serial killing. I mean, that I know- fits the profile. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> humans and dogs. Um, but yeah, she wonders, is there a method to how he or she chooses his victims or does he simply lose control? And uh, Liz thinks of, you know, Luke's uh, ominous speech about the everyone having an animal side. But Luke himself asks if Lord Pembroke has something to do with this. And Lucy says, well, the cigarette, the cigarette case and says that it was found by the body and it was engraved with the initials or HP, the Lord's own initials, or those of his son. <gasps> so they wonder, is the Princess Eliana story just being used to deflect notice from Dr. Neville's murder? Just saying, there were lots of newspapers in Britain. And if Dr. Neville is really such a well-known figure, like, why aren't the other papers reporting it? Oh why isn't God, the BBC was, reporting honestly, it? I know. I was like, this is surely making headlines in other papers that don't have something mysterious going on behind the scenes. But no, there is one paper. There's this one and also the Post, which apparently hasn't said anything about Dr. Neville. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's very weird. So yeah, there. she kind of considers this and wonders if maybe, yeah, someone's pulling the strings for Pembroke or something and if Reese is trying to compete with the post and they're trying to kind of piece it all together and then Tony kind of starts giving out to Lucy saying you know that she's discussing sensitive details with teenage summer interns I mean he's we not wrong well like, that's true yeah but he's like we don't know anything for sure this. This, this cover up is speculation and she kind of starts getting upset then wondering if Frank was just trying to like push her out of her job because he apparently always wanted the crime beat and didn't want to be working on society stuff um so yeah, she's, she starts accusing him of being part of the cover-up. You know, did you see this coming and that I'd quit over it? Um, and yeah, she, she accuses him of, of like taking Reeves aside because he was going to promise him the crime desk, uh, all this kind of thing. So they just argue then and Tony's offended by this saying he's not taking anyone's side. Um, yeah, so... I don't blame just, him for getting defensive in fairness because she's literally fair. accusing her or she's accusing him of scheming against her. This is true. Yeah. So they're both just getting really kind of heated about all this. Uh, and the twins and Luke are just standing there watching all this go on. But uh, she throws him out of the house and says she never wants to see him again. <gasps> so like the twins and Luke are kind of like, oh, OK, uh, we better go. <laughs> and when they do go, Tony's driven away. <laughs> no, he's just disappeared. It's kind of funny. He's like, all right, fuck those kids. I'm going back to work. <laughs> So uh, the the gang uh, or the trio of uh, would-be detectives now have more questions than ever. Mm -hmm. But Jessica says she doesn't have any questions because there's no way Lord Pembroke has anything to do with the, the cover-up because the Pembrokes are one of the most prominent families in England. They're the nobility. And ah. Liz is like, that doesn't automatically put them above suspicion. Jessica says, does in my book, you're barking up the wrong tree. If you want to find some crooks and killers, start looking at the lower classes. Wow. The lower classes. That is so rude from Jessica. And if anything, being in the nobility makes them more fucking likely to be up to shenanigans than anybody else. Like. <coughs> Lord Lucan. <coughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, Luke is rightly not impressed and uh, by this, but um, so we, we do agree with him there. But <laughs> Luke says one thing is definite. Something nasty is something going is go something nasty is going on. So they'll crack this case together. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to Harrods. Oh my god, this is so bizarre. With the gang are buying scones again. All they've eaten is scones since they got here. <laughs> this is they're buying a picnic because they're probably made of money. I'm just gonna say, there's like a Tesco and a Sainsbury's <laughs> within easy walking distance of Harrods. And uh, and yet they are in the food hall. Buying the afternoon tea in the park 
Yeah. With clotted cream and jam. Because that's very practical picnic food. Oh, totally. But like, just, yeah, the fact that they're buying all this in Harrods is so wildly stupid. Like when you're <laughs> a teenager in London, you go into Harrods, you buy a small tin of biscuits as a present for your mam. And that is about it. <laughs> Genuinely, like you are not buying, <laughs> kidding out an entire fucking picnic. Like, oh my God. <laughs> It's like the idea that that's the, you know, well, obviously when we're stocking up for a picnic in a park, we're going to go to Harrods Food Hall binge. Oh my God. And they pack it all into a wicker basket and have it carried by servants to a park. (laughs) By the way, we don't hear anything about cutlery, so I don't know if they're just like dipping their faces right into the cream. But uh, (laughs) anyway... (laughs) <laughs> Very werewolf-like there, Carol. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, they head into Hyde Park and uh, Liz is sighing rapturously and saying, I think London must be the most beautiful city in the world. And Gabriella rightfully says, then you haven't been to Florence or Rome. And, uh, <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> True. Then David kind of starts talking up Liverpool and he's like, oh, well, it's nothing on Liverpool, eh, Lena? And kind of tries to engage her in conversation about Liverpool. And once again, she's just like running away from the conversation. Although hilariously, he does say that there's two Americans in his programme at the university, Zach and Kelly. And I was <laughs> like, oh my God, do they go to Bayside? <laughs> Is this the crossover we've been waiting for? <laughs> it's all right, because they're saved by the bell. Oh my God. <laughs> This is amazing. But yeah, he tells some story about tricking them about the Beatles and saying his dad was in the Beatles. This kind of bullshit. In fairness, that um, is kind of relatable because whomst among us. Oh, look, I know. Has not done that. <laughs> Hasn't tricked an American or two. Sorry, Americans, but we all have. <laughs> but yeah, so again, he's trying to engage Lena in chat. She's not having it and just kind of all cold and distant um, and kind of jumps up to go feeding scones to ducks. <laughs> <laughs> and David says... <laughs> God, I try to make up to a lift. Do you have to do a scouse accent now? Go. Oh, I see. I used to watch Brookside every single week. And <laughs> you think it'd be there? Okay, I'm going to try and channel Jimmy Corkle from Brookside. I believe I believe in you and your thousand accents. <laughs> I'm a bumbler. I am. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was, was good. I think I was more Manchester. I don't know. Oh, look. It's north of London. It'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he says that the harder he tries to make Lena notice him, she is just pushing her away. And Liz agrees that she's a bit standoffish. And he, but um, David says that uh, I'd like to ask her out. But just when I think I'm finally making a connection, she runs away like a frightened deer. <laughs> yeah, very realistic 90s teen talk oh totally everyone talks like a normal totally normal teen um, but Liz is like oh you know maybe she's just shy I'm sure you'll get through to her one of these days and she kind of agrees to put in a good word for David to Lena because she just loves a bit of meddling and she's like David and Lena would make the sweetest couple <laughs> and apparently helping along their romance might be a nice change from tracking down a serial killer so uh, yeah she's like oh okay. we'll find a way We'll find a way to get you two together. Don't worry about it. So it's like, oh, it's cute little fucking, what are we on? C, D, E plot at this stage. Oh, Christ. <laughs> too, too many subplots. Totally. So the next day, Portia leaves early. It's her first day at the, th- um, the first day of the, the theatre run. Um, mm-hmm. But she's left tickets for everybody and mm. an invitation backstage. And Lena says, 
you're joshing, which is very realistic. Oh my god. <laughs> so some of the kids are worried that this is like this is all an elaborate prank and that the tickets are gonna be fake, but um and then some of the others think, oh, she just wants to show off so she can yeah. gloat and Lena doesn't want to go. But Liz thinks that this is actually sincere, so she thinks they should give um hmm. give Portia a chance and the yeah. others agree that they'll go to the play. The twins are early, so they stroll to work past Buckingham Palace. Where the fuck is this hostel? It's oh, just look. again fictional London geography on top of everything else. Yes. <laughs> so uh, they they look at all the guards and wonder, you know, how could anybody have kidnapped Princess Eliana from such a place? And uh, Liz, or sorry, Jessica wonders if the serial killer has got her, and of course, Liz has been wondering this too. Mm. Jessica thinks. It must be amazing to live there. Why? Why would you look at Buckingham Palace surrounded by tourists and think, <laughs> oh, that looks brilliant. I'd love to be in there. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, but she tries to talk Liz uh, into coming with her to Pembroke Manor because she's like, we know we have a chance to stay somewhere almost as cool. Um, but Liz is like, no, I told you I'm not interested. So Jessica really kind of pleads with her. She's like, it could be educational. You yeah. could see another part of England. Lots of old historical stuff. <laughs> And apparently the Wakefield parents have said that Jessica can only go. So I guess they have actually spoken to their children yeah. at some point. But apparently, yeah, uh, Jessica can only go if Liz goes too. So she so badges her. To get her. Yeah. yeah, she badges her until she gives in. But mm-hmm. Liz has an ulterior motive. She thinks maybe she'll learn something about the Pembrokes that will help her solve the mystery. Uh-huh. So later she and Luke try it because he's going to come to now, uh, try to come up with a scheme and we um, we get yet another recap of the mystery and they focus on Lord Pembroke because he seems to know everybody dead or alive, um, except the nurse and poo-poo, of course, and the cigarette link, uh, cigarette case is another crucial link. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they still, that's pretty much all they know. So yeah. Liz tells him about the invitation to Pembroke Manor and uh, he immediately accepts. And Liz does realise she doesn't know Luke very well. And it's yeah. like, how did we become so involved with this whole mystery and with each other in just three days? How indeed, Liz, when you have a boyfriend? <laughs> Truly honest to God. <laughs> just like, tattoo. <laughs> well, Luke puts a hand on Elizabeth's arm and a warm electric tingle shoots up it and he says just think the sleuthing possibilities and of course this makes horn dog Liz forget all her worries of course yes so Luke is fully on board anyway so they're all game on now to stay in the the Pembroke family fucking home for the weekend to find some stuff out and uh, we cut to the next day. It's Thursday, but as far as the twins are concerned, it's the weekend because Tony gave them Friday off so they could go to Pembroke Manor. Tony is so done with these kids. Oh. He's like, get them out of my sight. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tony's um, uh, temporarily has become crime editor and yes. it, he gave them yet another Sergeant Bumpo case. It is too fucking stupid to recap. It's got yep. market traders, exploding vegetables. Yep. It's just stupid that's it yeah um and uh oh my god this is one of my favorite parts of the whole book <laughs> they head to carnaby street by the way carnaby street in the 90s i remember visiting it i visited london for the first time in 93 and i was so disappointed by carnaby street because oh, i no. <laughs> hoped it would be like swinging london and right. it's just very touristy and yeah. bleh <laughs> but the twins are <laughs> are blown away 
Oh my god, yes, Liz is whispering, I've never seen so much black leather and the hairdos. And all three of them turn to stare after a young man with a foot-high neon green mohawk. And Jessica's like, his ear must have been pierced ten times. And it's just gas because... Like, I'm amazed they didn't pass out at the sight of neon green hair, actually, oh, considering everybody was nearly sick when Lila had purple streaks in her hair that one time. But, like, ridiculous. But also, like, someone having loads of piercings in their ear. Like, that's just a very 90s thing anyway. So like, 90s. Particularly punky, like, at like, all. Like, my friends. And, like, yeah. like, the people I knew had, like, three at least three piercings mm. by the time they were about 18. Like, ear, ear piercings when they were about yeah, 18. Yeah. yeah. But, I said that wasn't easily shocked. <laughs> then Jessica stops to thumb through a rack of gauzy grunge dresses. Says, how about it, Liz? Want to get mom and dad scared and arrive home wearing clothes like this and with their hair dyed five different colours? Like that is the most generic teen thing <laughs> you could possibly wear. Honestly, it's like, so you want to dress like a regular 90s teen who's not from some, like the, some square as fuck white as hell town <laughs> in a weirdly conservative part of California. And also like gauzy grunge dresses are the sort of thing you could get in Miss Selfridge at the time. It was, I had entire, like, it was super fucking mainstream, yes. a gauzy grungy dress. Like yeah. that was not anything out of bounds oh. of regular fashion whatsoever. And then it gets even more ridiculous because they go to Piccadilly Circus. And <laughs> to Jessica's disappointment, Piccadilly Circus wasn't a circus at all. I mean, there was a big tower records there back then. Um, but uh, Luke says, we use the word differently in Britain. Oh no, they don't. Um, you're a liar. <laughs> circus is a big open place where a bunch of streets intersect. Like, technically, no. in the case of certain places like Oxford Circus sure, and, yeah. and Piccadilly Circus, that is used. But if you say circus, I think I can speak on your behalf, British listeners. If yeah. someone says circus to you, you don't think, oh, no, 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 that's just like a crossroads. <laughs> like, <laughs> What do you mean a big tent with clowns and... St- no, that's... I've n- I've never heard of such a place. <laughs> but also, there's usually a market of some kind. Like, <sighs> did this person not even see a photo of Piccadilly Circus? Like, there's the big Eros statue in the middle. And then hmm. there's all the neon, you know... The, the Signs the and stuff. Yeah. Lights. And then there's like, you know... Oh, there was a Tower Records. Hmm. Um, what was that Oxford Circus? Anyway, there's just fucking shops. There weren't shops and stalls. It's traffic in shops. That's what it is. There are no stalls. But yeah, Luke is like, oh, look, there's a clown selling balloons. <laughs> like, what? Apparently Liz picks up a leather bound copy of Wuthering Heights from another stall. It's like, what is this imaginary market? This is wild. And then there's a, quote, gypsy fortune teller Christ. in a tent. Oh, God. Their no. words, not ours. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, and they say it so often. It's like, please stop. It's bad. And she has a withered claw-like hand. <laughs> and Christ. her wrinkled cheeks grow pale as she looks at Jessica's palm. <laughs> she says to Jessica, beware the full moon. <laughs> she croaked, closing Jessica's hand into a fist. Beware the full moon. <laughs> Jessica's like, is that it? What a ripoff. <laughs> and she's disappointed. But Liz is shaken. It's like, oh, it's like an American werewolf in London. And Liz, uh, Jessica laughs like, oh, 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 the old lady must have seen the movie. Ha ha. 
<laughs> Luke says, there's a full moon tomorrow night. Oh my God. <laughs> so later at the hostel, um, the gang get ready for the theatre, apart from Lena, uh, mm-hmm. who doesn't want to go because she hates Portia. And when Liz says, but David will be disappointed. He wants to get to know you better. And Lena is like, he mustn't get to know me better. <laughs> <laughs> and then says, don't you see, Elizabeth? I can't go out with David and I can't attend opening night at the National West End Theatre. I just can't. And Liz is like, what the fuck? Why? And Lena goes, don't you see? She stared at Elizabeth, saying again, don't you see? <laughs> Elizabeth stared back at Lena. Speaking just now, Lena's voice had altered. Her thick Liverpoolian accent giving way to more modulated, elegant tones. There was something different about her expression, too. Something almost regal. (gasps) Surely not. Lena, like, takes off her wire-rimmed glasses and tosses back her hair, lifts her delicate chin. Look at me. (laughs) She commanded Elizabeth. Look closely. (laughs) Finally, the fucking penny drops. Mm-hmm. And leaders all, I know what you're thinking. Why would I go for my mother, the Queen of England, to crotchety old Mrs. Bates, from private tutors and charity balls to soup kitchens and homeless shelters? It basically says she was a rare bird in a gilded cage and she wanted mm-hmm. to see the real world. And Liz is like, well, how'd you get away? Uh, and Eliana, as we're now calling her, laughs yes. lightly. It's like, it was remarkably easy. <laughs> <laughs> so she dyed and cut her hair she snuck into a bathroom that is not oh, British English um, no. and uh, cut and dyed her hair cleaned up the mess and then ducked out with the tour group left with the tour group like it's kind of genius but so unlikely <laughs> but also she's like then voila Lena Smith was out on the streets of London with hardly a penny to her name and it's like you idiot how did you not think to stash away yeah. some money for yourself like <laughs> I want to live like common people <laughs> it's exactly this it absolutely is oh god so uh, Liz is like oh this explains a lot um, which it sure does because Lena was very very bad at covering up her secret identity ridiculously uh, so and uh yeah, uh, Lena is like, oh, I've met real people now. And, you know, how terrible it is about David. The poor dear fellow's homesick and wants nothing more than to chat about Liverpool. I'm so afraid he'll see through my masquerade. Yeah, because he put no fucking work into it, bitch. <laughs> I mean, I cannot believe nobody has seen through it. Um, so, yeah, it explains why she had to, like, run away from the club and, you know, because Gloria was there. And uh, she can't go to the opening night for West End play. And Liz Whitey points out, your family think you're dead and uh, <laughs> no apparently they don't oh this is so ridiculous yeah she kind of like brushes away any kind of like moral <laughs> wonderment yeah. because she's like no no I've been in touch with my family they know I'm fine and it's just so fucking unlikely <laughs> I don't understand why the newspapers are printing stories like that like anyway Liz says she'll keep her secret and uh, Eliana yes. hugs her thank you Elizabeth the princess whispered <laughs> tears glimmering in her eyes thank you my true friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so they all turn up at the theatre and they've got great seats in the dress mm-hmm. circle, but they're confused that Portia's name is not in the programme. 
Yeah, they go down through all the characters and even the like really secondary and minor characters. There's no sign of Portia's name at all. So they're all really like, what's going on? Gabriella's like, is this some kind of hoax? Yeah. What is happening? Uh, so like, OK, well, look, we're, we're here now, so we'll just have to see. So the play starts and it's like a man and his wife are like arguing or something in a fancy yeah. living room. Uh, and then suddenly they they realize that uh, the actress who's playing the daughter of this couple is in fact Portia. But <gasps> her name was listed differently. So she was down as Penelope Abbott in the uh, in the program. And she's actually really, really good in this role. Um, but as Liz in particular is watching us. She's like, yes, she's really good. But also this character seems so familiar <laughs> because <laughs> the way that uh, the way that Portia uh, is acting in this, she she Liz finds herself that she she could predict how the character would react in a given scene. It's almost as if I've seen the play before, she thought, <gasps> as if I knew Isabel. Oh and then at gosh. one point, uh, this character of Isabel played by Portia says something like, how quaint, Papa, let's do. And then Liz <laughs> thinks, how quaint, that's what she's said when you know when she first met the twins and she does make some comment about the hoi polloi I think at another point yeah so um so Liz has figured it out and at intermission she explains to the gang that she's like this is the story I figured out Portia so apparently like in the, in the very first scene of the thing she was like holding up a book in front of her face yeah. just like she had been doing so basically she was being method and being a total yes. pain in the arse about it the whole time yes. in the hostel and Emily's not so sure when Liz reveals this theory and things like Portia seemed to really enjoy being a bitch but <laughs> uh, when they head backstage afterwards of course Liz was right and oh. Portia flings her arms around and was like I did it thank you so much for coming um, and apparently she's like started her acting career under this assumed name Penelope what's his face yeah. um, so she can prove herself because her father is horrible and has never, you know, supported her acting dream and just has always criticised her. So now she's finding uh, her her place without mm-hmm. his influence. Yes. And she apologises to the gang for being a bitch or rather, I've been a witch, haven't I? Mm. Um, she says <laughs> that she took her immersion in the world too far and she's... Uh, she's sorry for everything she's done and she hopes it's not too late and she gives him a winsome smile. Um, <laughs> sounds sickening. Liz's like, so, do we friends? Of course not. Oh, God. <laughs> so the next day, the twins leave for their weekend Pembroke Manor. Oh my god! Um, their pals bid farewell and Lena is subtle as a brick as ever. <laughs> She, she, it's just like they're kind of all waving goodbye from the steps uh, like a bunch of fucking orphans um, like Lena smiled at Elizabeth holding one finger to her lips in a silent don't tell signal <laughs> like, ridiculous apparently Renee kind of looks out at one point sees Liz in her overnight bag and Luke and he like frowns and turns away and Liz sighs and she's like Renee had been giving her the cold shoulder for days but what could she do I don't know fucking apologise properly maybe yes. like you were told dick to him. We're told she tried her best to smooth things over with them, but if you didn't want to be friends, you did not try very hard. You just gave she an apologetic smile. They were like, oh, I lost track of time. Yeah, and then she got annoyed when that didn't work because the usual fucking default Wakefield charm suddenly doesn't work on everybody. Like. <sighs> well, they get a cab again. Yeah. <laughs> which is paid you. money. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they go to Victoria and they buy a ticket from a wizened old man who asks if they want one way or return and Liz uh, has a ch- another chill in her veins. She's like, what if we go to Pembroke Manor and don't come back? Um, 
So they head off on the train and uh, Jess is in a great mood. It's like, aren't you guys relieved to get out of the city to leave all that scary serial killer stuff behind? I mean, it's the second serial killer you've encountered in like five months, so <laughs> you should be grateful. This is old news. <laughs> so Liz suddenly becomes aware of, I guess, how the solar system works because she thinks <laughs> the full moon will follow us, Elizabeth realised. <laughs> Wow, oh my god, revelatory. Tonight it will shine as brightly over the village of Pembroke Woods as over London. Yes, that's how it works. Guess what? It's the same moon every time. Also, how is it both really foggy all the time and yet the moon is constantly visible and shining in her face? That's so true. They are constantly bathed in moonlight while being lost in fog. Like, none of that makes sense. Well, she ponders all the recent excitement and she basically recaps the entire book again. Oh, God. Um, And uh, notices that Luke looks tense. Yes. So they arrive at Pembroke Woods and Robert is there yet again wearing a cravat like Tim nice but dim <laughs> and Luke is nervous and Robert turns on the charm but Liz takes an instant dislike to him. Yeah, I kind of forgot that Liz hasn't actually met him up until this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she is just not taken in by him at all. She thinks he's really fake and arrogant, uh, doesn't like him at all. Like she took an instant dislike to Robert Pembroke. And, you know, like if Liz is taking an instant dislike to somebody, that's it for them. Like it's over. Yeah. Like they're clearly a terrible person. Um, but yeah, so he's kind of he meets Luke and there's a weird kind of tension between them. Um, it's coming from Luke. I guess so, yeah, because in fairness, Robert is just kind of saying, you know, glad you could join us. We'll have to chat about the newspaper business. And Luke just kind of nods and stares at him like as if he might be able to penetrate Robert's innermost thoughts. (laughs) So it is kind of weird between them. And Liz kind of compares the two boys and she's like, God, what does Jessica see in him? Like, he's so artificial and condescending. Uh, And then she looks at the fancy Jaguar that uh, Robert is driving and she's like, oh, yeah, how could I forget? (laughs) (laughs) But she decides, very fucking gracious of her. She's, why not keep a positive attitude? Yes, you've accepted this invitation. So like, just behave yourself. Just stop Um, sulking all the time. Yeah, but she thinks, no matter how snobby the Pembrokes might be, it was exciting to be in a beautiful new place. And with Luke at her side. (laughs) Hashtag, poor Todd. My God, who would have thought? He can join poor Jeffrey in the poor Liz's boyfriend's <laughs> fucking gang. <laughs> so they head through the scenic countryside and hmm. they pass by the ruins of Woodley Abbey that's been, uh, that's supposedly haunted by the ghost of monks uh, who died when the when King Henry VIII uh, burnt it down. <laughs> Liz thinks she sees a ghost. For fuck's sake. Oh God. So uh, Liz continues to think mildly left-wing thoughts, which I guess we can give her, you know, well, credit where credit's due. Some credit, yeah, fair. So they arrive at the house, which they keep referring to as a manor. And a manor is surely like like the land, like my manor. Like oh, even you know, a Danny Dyer figure might say, my manor. <laughs> and then there's the manor house in the manor. But anyway, uh, yeah. um, I think this must be some leftover things from studying history of architecture, but oh, uh, okay. <laughs> pretty sure a manor is the land and the manor house is ah, the house. The, I, the manor was, itself is not the house. I was but, not aware. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's huge. And Robert does some name dropping about all the visiting royals that they yeah. uh, met there. And they go into the uh, en- large entrance hall and the family crest is quite dramatic. 
my God, Jessica points to it and she's like, what's that? And Robert explains the family crest. He's like, see the P and or intertwined? That's for Pembroke and Rex, king, indicating the fealty of the Pembrokes to the royal family. The sword oh. represents our willingness to do battle for crown and country. The oh. water is Woodley Falls, a symbol of the streams that flow through our land, making it rich and fertile. Totally normal teen. Uh, and then apparently there's a wolf on it, which he <laughs> explains is, for some reason, I've never been able to figure out our patron saint. Um, what? Because <laughs> he says, kind of a funny choice, considering we've always raised sheep. Kind of a funny choice, given it's a fucking wolf and not a it's saint. A, a patron saint is a person, by definition. There's no wolf saint. I mean, that'd be pretty fucking cool if there was. Oh, I'd like it. <laughs> but there is not a patron saint, is a person. What? That is the whole point. What are you talking about? What is this? This sentence makes absolutely no sense at all. And it's really annoying. <laughs> Also, surely if it says like Pembroke Rex, that's indicating that the Pembrokes are the kings. Are the royals. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they brought into the drawing room where they meet Lord and Lady Pembroke. And when Luke greets, uh, meets Lord Pembroke, he stares deeply into the older man's eyes. Luke's Luke Shepherd, Lord Pembroke. Uh, gives a start and something mm. flickers behind his eyes. Yeah, so there is something weird going on here and Jessica wonders, mm. surprise, recognition? Like, what's going on here? Because there is definitely a vibe, but she's not sure what it is exactly. Yeah. Um, and Luke is like, oh, do you know the name? Maybe it's because I work at the journal. And then Lord Pembroke's like, oh, yes, yes, that's it. But his smile doesn't quite reach <gasps> his eyes. Um, and Jessica just thinks that he's kind of unimpressed uh, Luke and that Liz should have brought Renee instead because apparently Luke is so common, like with him and his housekeeper that lives in his graph, apparently. That's the thing. She's like, doesn't she see how common Luke is? Fuck's sake. Doesn't she realise he makes us look bad? I mean, apart from the fact that this is a terrible thing to think, Mm. if Luke's dad is a chemist with a housekeeper, he undoubtedly sounds posher than you, Jessica. Yes, exactly. You're a brash American. Oh, (laughs) heavens Herman, my pills my god yes but then Robert uh, continues to introduce because uh, there's other guests at the the place that weekend uh, so their family friend Andrew Thatcher and his fiance Joy Singleton mm. uh, so yes so the chief of police is also just fucking hanging out for the weekend yeah uh, so Luke and Liz, when they realise who he is, exchange a meaningful glance. I'm mm-hmm. sure they're uh, very subtle. Oh, totally. And Joy says that Robert Senior has promised us a ride this afternoon. And uh, we cut to everybody's out on horseback. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica's having the time of her life, as Luke points out. He and Liz are cantering along the bridle path. So Luke, despite being some sort of child in the streets, is natural <laughs> in the saddle and is able to yeah. canter cross country. He's a man of many talents. Yeah. <laughs> a Victorian ghost of many talents. Even. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Liz points out that uh, Jessica is, um, have, you know, his, she's never seen her fall so hard for a guy. I guess not mm-hmm. even the one who got killed in an <laughs> accident with you. But um, Luke says that they should take a little break. And the way the ghostwriter writes the following scene has such big Tina Belcher energy. Oh my God, (laughs) it totally does. You're so right. (laughs) It's like instead of zombie fan fiction, it's werewolf fan fiction. (laughs) 
It's like, abruptly, Luke reined in his horse, Nightwing. Sitting back in the saddle, Elizabeth slowed lollipop, her mount, to a walk as well. What is it, she asked Luke. Luke gestured to a trail that branched off on the main path and into a grove of birch trees. Let's go this way, he suggested. I wouldn't mind sneaking away from the others. If Elizabeth's cheeks hadn't already been flushed from the wind and sun, they would have turned pink at the thought of being alone with Luke in this enchanted place. It's... Yes, you're. Oh my God, it's so Tina Belcher. It's horses and kissing. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so they head into the woods and yet again ponder all the things they've already discussed, and yes. they they uh, tether the horses to a tree. And mm-hmm. Liz thinks uh, something sexy is going to happen, but then they make a ridiculous discovery. Oh my God! Yes, so <laughs> they kind of examine a bushy plant uh, that's growing apparently along by one of the trees, and Luke explains that uh, it's wolfsbane. <laughs> <laughs> His gaze locked onto Elizabeth's and a hot spark shut between them. Oh. Uh, so according to medieval lore, it blooms when it's time for the werewolf to come out. <laughs> so, apparently Liz had been about to pick one of the flowers. Now she drew back her hand as if she'd been stung. Her eyes shadowed with dread. It's all right. <laughs> he stepped close to her. He's got an arm wrapped protectively around her shoulders. And then out of his pocket, he pulls a tarnished silver pendant on a chain. See this symbol? <laughs> Liz looks at it. It's a wolf's head with a five-sided star. He Holy goes on shit. to explain that the pentagram is an ancient magical symbol of immense power. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> Here the werewolf is inside it. It will contain and neutralize its power. <laughs> so he puts it around her neck and he's like, wear this at all times and it will protect you. <laughs> yes, ridiculously. She's so caught up in the moment. She's like, I can feel it. She thought, staring up at Luke with wide mesmerized eyes. I can feel the power. <laughs> In the midnight hour, she oh. can feel the power. Holy shit, that's not all she can feel. Uh, because slowly he bent his head oh. to hers. And finally, they kiss. At last. she oh. A fierce hunger swept through Elizabeth's body and she went Ooh. to him eagerly. At last, their lips met in the kiss they both were dreaming of all week long. So later, the twins get ready for dinner and Jessica thinks she has nothing fancy enough and she bets the joy the the fellow guest will have lots Mm. of nice frocks. Liz, who has no joy for literally about five minutes, (laughs) really bitchy. I'm sure that's all she thinks about clothes. Oh my God, she's such a bitch. And yeah, Jessica, now the way she puts it doesn't make much sense because she's like, really Liz, you're such a reverse snob. But like, she's actually just a snob because she's just judging joy completely on nothing yeah. uh, Jessica's like she's a perfectly nice person and you'd find that out if you gave her half a chance um, so just because yeah Joy wears nice dresses apparently she's not worth talking to properly hmm. so they head into dinner and Robert uh, Jr. <laughs> takes uh, takes <laughs> Jessica's arm as they walk in which makes her think of her inevitable wedding when she's walking down the aisle with them and uh, the dinner is all fancy and Jessica is all confused by the spoons. And I don't yes. buy this because the amount of times they're always dining in super fancy restaurants with oh, like that's true. doves and swans and God knows what else. <laughs> Fucking waterfalls and fountains <laughs> and gilded swan cages and what have you. <laughs> how do you not know what, you know, how hmm. like cutlery works? But uh, anyway, she just copies what Lady Pembroke's doing. And yeah. um 
again, seriously, how do these people think they could ever be undercover? Because Lord Pembroke asks the twins about the papers and she says, oh, we love it. It's so exciting. Our very first case, case, case. They're not detectives. Why are they like this? But she starts to say, a doctor and Liz uh, sort of gives her a look and uh, Jessica's like, oh, shit, yeah, we weren't meant to be there. Hiding in a bush looking at you through a window. <laughs> so she tries to cover and then she's like, oh, very sorry about your friend, Dr. Neville. And Lord Pembroke exchanges a glance with Thatcher mm-hmm. and he looks at his son. But um, it's all very weird and awkward. Mm. But luckily, Liz uh, gives, a, again, one of her trademark whispered condolences. <laughs> Well, that's what she does. <laughs> She's saying everything softly and we're truly sorry. <laughs> and then a visitor arrives. It's Constable Pickering oh with God. urgent business. And uh, Lord Pembroke is like, oh, urgent, bring him in, bring him in. We'll find out what's on his mind and offer him dinner. And Lady Pembroke's like, what? Offer like a Constable dinner? <laughs> but the policeman comes in. And Jessica thinks that man's as white as one of Woodley Abbey's ghosts. And it's all like Lord Constable bickering. Uh, it's like, Lord Pembroke, perhaps we could have a word alone. And then with visible reluctance, the constable um, reveals all. And it's basically the sheep have been attacked. Now, I'm not a child of the country, but I did grow up watching all those ads that were basically like, do not let your dog, your nice yes. Labrador at night, or uh-huh. he will rip a sheep's throat out. Yup. Is that accurate as somebody who grew up slightly closer to the countryside than I did? Yeah, yes. Like, this is what happens. Dogs attack sheep. Even the nicest dog ever, they will attack sheep or even just chase them and freak yeah. them out. And it's not good for sheep. Uh, so yeah, the... <laughs> The constable goes on to explain that, yes, apparently a villager discovered four of the um, of the Pembroke sheep uh, found dead, their throats torn right out. Hard to say if it was the work of a man or beast or just a dog or again, a fox. Like, yes, there's it's so just a many beast. fucking things that could have done this in the country. This is not shocking news to interrupt a fancy dinner. Like, it's just, <laughs> that the police would be this, like, oh no. Honestly, no, like this is just what happens when you have sheep in the countryside. It's unfortunate, but that is what happens. <laughs> like, Nature's red tooth and claw truly this is not a big deal like that the cops need to get involved <laughs> it's ridiculous but everyone's like gripping the table and pale with shock and revulsion and it's just like everyone is completely overreacting to be honest but again because of the nature of the death of the sheep jessica feels like she's on the verge of fainting and she's like dead with her throats torn out torn out just like poo poo and the nurse and dr neville and honestly how like terrible for dr neville and this poor nurse to be lumped in constantly with a Yorkshire terrier <laughs> called poo poo it's like just the indignity of it all i mean i don't want to make light of poo poo's tragic passing however it's... but come on like i mean two grisly people murders is much worse <laughs> Well, dinner breaks up early and uh, Jessica and Robert go for a stroll in the garden and he dismisses the sheep murder and says it was most likely just the work of local youths out looking for trouble. I mean, that's genuinely oh concerning. If God, they're like, no, local youths go cow tipping like you don't yeah, go don't. murdering sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so why doesn't he just say it's much more likely to be like somebody's golden retriever? Exactly. It's a dog. It's a fox. It's yeah. <laughs> it's either of those things. Um, but he says the constable will get to the bottom of it in the morning. But um, then the the wind pushes away a cloud and the, the gardens are bathed in the silver light of the moon. <laughs> and Jessica 
<laughs> almost reveals the crazy theory that Luke and Liz have about the werewolves. Um, oh my God. But she at least sees sense. and yes. uh, stops herself in time. Yeah. Yes. So uh, she's just concentrates on Robert Pembroke, who's driving her crazy with his kisses. <laughs> so Liz and Luke are still up. They're in the parlour by the fire. Uh, like, this is the summer, but it's, I mean. <laughs> oh my I know, God, you're right. It is the summer. <laughs> I know the weather can be bad on this side of the Atlantic, but like, they have a blazing fire when it's a howling gale. But Liz can hear consents evil lurking in the windy dark. Like this last chapter just goes full on camp gothic horror. Oh like it's so silly and out of nowhere. Amazing. <laughs> but it is wonderful. Like I kind of wanted more of this in the book, to be honest. So yeah, Liz is sitting there chilly by the roaring fire and just can't seem to talk herself into calming down because she is just like sensing something lurking in the windy dark and circling the manor like the evening mist and Luke is like you're safe with this he reminded her with the fucking pendant like oh my god suddenly there's a crashing sound and it's just that one of the fucking windows have blown open uh, it's all very dramatic there's fluttering curtains and what have you so Liz like races to uh, to close the window the cold air slicing through her clothes carrying a scent of the wild moor. <laughs> Where did the fucking moors come out of? <laughs> and she whispers, the slaughtered sheep. It was the werewolf, wasn't it? Oh and Luke God. nods. Says, he's strong and hungry. <laughs> Stay inside, Elizabeth. The moon is full. This is his night. The werewolf's night. <laughs> Luke, you mad bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> so later, Liz uh, heads down the corridor to um, Jessica's room because apparently the rooms are far apart from each other, mm. and of course it's like dark panels and heavy curtains yes. and a four-poster bed. I mean, the curtains aren't that fucking heavy as we oh fly down. Like someone's about to go running around in a nightgown with a candelabra. Like it's just ridiculous. Well, Jessica has lit some candles. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why because I'm pretty sure this house is electricity. But anyway, fucking light switch right there. <laughs> But uh, anyway, she's having a great time and she loves the Pembrokes. And Joy is so elegant and well-bred. What a creepy way to talk about anybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, she says, you and your pale boyfriend are wrong about the Pembrokes. It's like, <laughs> you're surrounded by English poshos. You're not the only pale person. He's not the only pale person. Yeah, true. <laughs> so Liz goes back to bed. Finally remembers we're all totals. Oh my God. So she, yeah, she can't sleep. So she decides she... <laughs> I don't feel the least bit tired, she reflected out loud. I'll write a letter to Todd. I really have been neglecting my correspondence with him. Like, normal teens, normal teens, totally normal teens. What the fuck is this? Oh, so like, yeah, you think. You certainly certainly have been neglecting your correspondence with him. Oh God, ridiculous. But yeah, she takes out a sheet of paper, uncaps a pen and writes, Dear Luke. (laughs) The dope. <laughs> so she crumples up the paper and throws it in the bin and she's like, right, fuck this. And like runs across the cold floors. Again, it is summertime. <laughs> it can't be that cold. I'm sorry. Yeah, she she jumps into bed. The sheets were like ice. Like, sorry. Now it is not the what? depths of fucking winter. Like it's like July. <laughs> yeah. Um by the way, she could still feel Luke's passionate goodnight kiss searing Whoa. her whole body like a flame. <laughs> And she thinks, oh, Todd, I'm sorry. I just don't know what I'm doing. You do know what you're doing. Just stop it. Or break up with Todd. 
Oh God, ridiculous. Um, so yeah, she finds it hard to sleep and not least because apparently the curtains are useless. <laughs> they just don't have any working curtains in this country. <laughs> the full moon is shining right into the womb. So oh, damn it. <laughs> There's no escaping that moon. So of course, Liz has a nightmare. I think we can kind of skim through this, but basically she's running through Pembroke Manor and there's everything's broken and there's mm. a tablecloth splattered with blood and Jessica's room is is uh, empty and everything's ripped up and um, then uh, she finds herself in the Wax Museum. Oh my God. <laughs> and then she sees her sister, uh, her blonde hair billowing, but then a wax figure comes to life and springs at her. The werewolf was after <laughs> Jessica. Oh my God. So like Liz in the dream runs knowing she's to reach Jessica before the werewolf did. And she can hear voices behind <laughs> her. Strangely enough, the voices of young Robert Pembroke and Renee Glees. <laughs> but they didn't seem to be calling to her. <laughs> and she didn't slow down. Beware the full moon, Renee shouted. Beware the full moon, Robert echoed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Well, Liz wakes up with some serious twin She has an instinctive mm. fear for her sister's well-being, um. So uh, she knows Jessica doesn't want to be woken up super early, but she needs to check on her. And a hideous sight meets her eyes. <gasps> well, she runs to the room and finds that yes, the the curtains that drape the four poster bed have been ripped down, and there's a body lying on top of tumbled sheets, face down, blonde hair swirling across the pillow. <gasps> but you can see that this girl isn't asleep. Her limbs were twisted and unnatural natural angle and she was still too still and the blood <gasps> she couldn't see the face the throat but she knew she knew so a scream explodes from her Jessica and she's screaming and screaming and Luke rushes in um, who's, who else no is it just Luke for the yes. minute yes she buries her face against his chest and he's like shh, shh. but Elizabeth knew her tears <laughs> would never end her pain and sorrow could never be soothed her beloved twin sister was dead. Murdered. <sighs> she is in her hole. She's like. murdered. <laughs> Forget that there are 50 more books to go. <laughs> She's been murdered. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, so while Liz screams, we're told, wordless shrieks of infinite agony, <laughs> we must leave them. Oh my God. Can you read us out, please? <laughs> Don't miss Sweet Valley High number 105. A date with a werewolf. The second book in this thrilling three-part miniseries. I mean, thrilling's one word for it. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Fucking bonkers. <laughs> well, I cannot wait to hear the stats and outfits oh after God. all this. Okay, strap in for another hour, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so honestly, like the the twins' blondness and blue green eyes, like who even cares? Because there's so much other stuff. But the blondness gets five mentions, um, which is you know it's pretty solid. Uh, the blue green eyes get four mentions. Okay, I'm actually surprised. Bad. I thought there'd be more. Hmm. Now, people blush thirteen times. <laughs> oh my god! And that is mostly Liz <laughs> with various boys. <laughs> it's really noticeable. Oh my God, there's so much blushing. Uh, and then it's like, it's mostly Jessica, but at one point it's Joy. But there's four instances of mostly Jessica dimpling, like dimpling flirtatiously. Like a verb. So like, she dimpled sweetly kind of thing. Happens. Yeah. So it's just, I guess, smiling and she has dimples. So she's dimpling. <laughs> dimpling. Good yeah. Lord. I mean, they, 
they were imaginative. I'll give them that. I'll tell you. They just, they, you know, they needed words. Uh, so now, eyes in general were up to an awful lot in this book. So, so overall, okay, people's eyes sparkled mm. six times. Wow. They okay. flash seven times. Seven. Lucy, in particular, her eyes shoot sparks twice. <laughs> twice! So I think Lucy is actually a malfunctioning robot. I mean, that would explain it for a bit too. Then there are two instances apiece where people's eyes shine, twinkle, glow and glint. What? <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? And then there is one instance where people's eyes glitter, blaze and crinkle. <laughs> They literally have a list of stupid words that people's eyes do. Like, honestly, this book is full of people that are just basically walking strobe lights. Like, it's <laughs> ridiculous. I don't know how anybody gets any work done. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, bizarre. Any more? Uh, well, that's it for the, for the ridiculous stats. So we are now moving on to outfits. Okay. Uh, so, okay, we've got Portia, the first appearance of Portia. She is wearing an unstructured raw silk jacket. So she's Again fancy. With the and silk. She, she would fit in fucking perfectly at Sweet yeah. Valley, is the thing. They'd actually love her there. They um, sure would. They would. Uh, let's see. Liz feels kind of like <laughs> not super stylish, but she feels provincial when she goes to Mondo <laughs> in her plain short knit dress. <laughs> so it's just it's not it's not going to compare to the outfits that Jessica is taken in by, which include a girl in a leopard print mini with holes cut down the front to her belly button. Even <laughs> Lila wouldn't show that much skin, apparently. Then <laughs> Emily points out a dress of black velvet and chiffon that looked to Elizabeth as if someone had gone at it with a pair of scissors. <laughs> Heavens. <laughs> I know, right? I don't even know what to make of that. Uh, When they spot Princess Gloria, she is in high heels and a short black sequined dress. Her fair hair piled loosely on top of her head. Jewels glittered at her ears, throat and wrists. Jessica is Mm. completely taken in by this. Of course she she does sound pretty fancy, to be fair. Very fancy. It's fancy. Uh, What else have we got? Oh, yes. When um, Jessica is like raiding Liz's wardrobe to find something to wear for one of her dates with Robert. At one point she holds out Elizabeth's navy and white sailor dress, but Emily dismisses it saying it's too schoolgirlish. And it just sounds like a costume, doesn't it? Like a navy and white sailor dress. Like a little sailor suit. Honestly, what even is that? Um, Not the courtship There you go, little square collar. Um, she also is going through Portia's stuff and finds an elegant silk chemise and thinks with that raw silk jacket of hers over it, it would be quite the outfit. (laughs) Silk on silk on silk. Uh, We also have Princess Gloria again, this time wearing a peacock blue strapless dress. This is her Club USA look. (laughs) They're very formal going out clubbing. They really are. Again, this is 1993. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Oh yes, Portia again. Portia kind of delivers, I must say, because during one of her like elaborate nighttime rituals, she's sitting at her dressing table in a lavender silk robe with her hair in a turban. (laughs) Good heavens. I do kind of love. She's like Joan Collins. I was just going to say, St. Joan. (laughs) Very that. Uh, then the fortune teller, I had to note her turban uh, because it's decorated with tiny silver and gold stars and planets. And I was like, that actually sounds pretty fucking cool. It does. There's some genuinely, uh, I mean, there were some genuinely cool dramatic ensembles. Definitely. In this book. 
Uh, then Jessica is admiring Joy's outfit when they get to the Pembroke Manor uh, because Joy is wearing butter soft suede trousers, an expensive casual silk shirt and beautiful <laughs> gold jewellery. <laughs> now, what do Jessica likes her? There you go. Like she's just playing to the fucking gallery here with silk everything. Um, and then, yes, when Jessica's going down for dinner, uh, she is picking out a cherry red square necked dress. Apparently it's the most elegant grown up dress she'd ever owned and fancier than Elizabeth's sailor dress. So I guess that's what Liz is wearing. So that's the, uh, the looks for the fancy dinner outfits. Oh, and uh, yeah, so there's quite the range of outfits there between them. Um, fancy royals and everything silk all the time and grungy dresses surely grungy not. dresses oh my yes. god I know but yeah that that is your lot for, for the oh. stats and indeed outfits and what a lot it was Ooh, um, well Pi Beta Alpha Sisters what did you think? Uh, I was particularly interested this time in hearing from our British listeners what oh did you god. think of the uh gritty d- depiction of your <laughs> nation's capital honestly or at least of the much. english nation's capital um <laughs> this version of it yes so <laughs> dirty to our scottish and welsh listeners uh, <laughs> but uh yeah what did you think did w- were we being too harsh on it i mean after all we are not english ourselves this is true so maybe there's a whole side to london that we are just not familiar with as <laughs> maybe, non-locals maybe there are werewolves wolves i mean who are there's we to say there's a song and a movie about werewolves in london so who are we <laughs> to say anything well who <laughs> <laughs> um do let us know what you think uh we always always love hearing from you um we we are gonna have to whoosh through your comments because this episode oh, has been going on for like over three hours <laughs> so we, we have to say that a lot of people on instagram are debating the spanish tiles many also thought they were the floor but others yeah. thought they were some thought they were even on the table well, you know, who knows Alice Wakefield? She's a fucking rogue <laughs> cannon. What is a loose cannon when it comes to interior design? You just never know what she's going to do. <laughs> well, as Jen B's girl said, Alice was to slot those babies on every available kitchen. <laughs> now, Neri Simon made a very good point in defense of Michael. Oh, she um, she pointed out, she said, as, as someone who struggled with mental health issues and neurodivergencies her whole life, she said she can relate to Michael so hard and she's known other people like him who can seem to uh, from the outside to be frustratingly hard to converse with, but in truth are just neurodivergent. Um, so uh, she says, um, we can't, can't read the whole comment, but it's definitely worth reading on our mm. on our Instagram. And she says, I'm pretty sure the ghostwriter wasn't intending Michael to be read as having autism and or social anxiety. Pretty much, pretty sure they were just playing up the comedic misunderstanding shenanigans. But that's absolutely the vibe I'm getting from him. So mm, uh, that, yeah, that is totally fair. Yeah. So we, we could have been too hard on on mm. Michael there. Um Others were uh, were were impressed by uh, devil. The, they've heard stories about the devil just popping up in places. So really, he was all over the country. <laughs> he was on tour, getting around, playing cards, wrecking people's roofs, like just <laughs> standing on bridges. Is up to all sorts. Never pop up. <laughs> um, <laughs> we did have oh yeah, Roisin Muldoon had tears of laughter imagining Elizabeth doing Jessica as though she's Sandy at the end of Greece popping her bubble gum. <laughs> 
And several people pointed out, like, uh, you know, if Mercury is in retrograde for everybody, not just yes. Jessica. Very true. Cressida Burton books said, even if it was just infe- uh, affecting Mer- uh, Gemini's, what, why wasn't Liz not tripping arse over elbow and spilling her clam chowder <laughs> down a Victorian <laughs> coast blouse? <laughs> but very good point. Like, very so good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thank you everybody uh for, for getting in touch. Do continue to let us know what you think, because we always absolutely love hearing from you. And if you like hearing from us and you feel you cannot wait um too long for, for more Sweet Valley Madness, you can join our sorority and get a episode in your ears every single week by signing up to Headstuff Plus. Yeah, if you head on over to headstuffpodcast.com, you can sign up to support the show for as little as five euro a month. Uh, and in doing so, you get access to uh, the bonus content for all the, the pods on the network. So there's loads of stuff to get through there. Uh, but uh, yeah, you'll also get access then to our bonus series, Pi Beta Alpha, which is where we gather in the clubhouse every two weeks on the off weeks between regular episodes and talk shit about the, the TV show episodes. I say talk shit. We're very fond of it, to be honest. Oh, my God. Shreds like, turned up. And- honestly, like I was so sure that man was going to be like Poochie coming into this thing. And we're obsessed with him now instead like honestly for a thing that kind of started out as like a jokey oh we'll get through this series and see what happens we're now like totally charmed and enamored by everybody genuinely are so uh pi beta alpha sisters we will see you in the clubhouse next week Mm -hmm. uh where liz is also being an intern in a newspaper (laughs) synergy it really is just seem to happen um, with this uh, the combination of book and series but now listeners we will not have a new we will not have the next episode the next book discussion hmm. in two weeks time um, because for reasons outside our control we will not be able to record an episode this week don't worry hmm. nothing too serious no, it's I'm actually a werewolf and there's a full moon that week, so I can't record. It'll just be way too awkward trying to set up my mic with big furry paws. It's just not going to work. Uh, <laughs> We're the full moon. You know, I tried to warn you. <laughs> but yeah, so it's going to be three weeks rather than two uh, until we get our next werewolf fix, unfortunately. But we do have something fun planned for this week where we're going to have to not have a new episode out but uh yes just just one of those things unfortunately and the little something something that we will have for you is the sweet valley high (laughs) (laughs) High, uh sequel that i wrote for nano remo in 2002 You have to post it because you've said it. (laughs) I've said it. I wrote it in my live journal. My live journal has been locked for a long time, but we will be putting it up on the Headstuff, uh, on our our page on on the Headstuff website. Um, So on headstuffpodcast.com. And that will be available to everybody, not just Pi Beta Alpha members. So it's long. I mean, it was in many parts, but I'm going to put the whole thing up and we will... (laughs) We'll send a little reminder to your feed in two weeks just Hmm. to to remind you about it. So if anybody wants to read how I envisioned a very, very, very over the top version of Future Sweet Valley, 
I'll just say that Jessica has a private jet called the Hershey Bar. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> well, Liz has fled Sweet Valley because on graduation day, she saw Enid and Todd embracing <gasps> on her typewriter in the Oracle office. Oh my God. <laughs> this is already, I can tell this is already better than Sweet Valley Confidential. <laughs> and Lila's had a lot of plastic surgery and married Winston. Oh my God. So... There's a lot going on. And if you would like to see what 26 or 7 year old me said about uh, these characters, you can. Uh, and uh, we will, again, give a little reminder in the feed in two weeks. So Pi Beta Alpha sisters, we will see you in the clubhouse next week when we find out what happens where some character, we can't be sure who, meets the man of my screams. <laughs> We'll see all of you in the main feed uh, for, um, I guess, a little reminder to check out From Here to Sweet Valley. And then (laughs) in three weeks time, we'll be heading back to good old London. Oh, Father Thames. (laughs) As, As we go on. A date with a werewolf. <laughs> Can you add him and Eve it? <laughs> <laughs> See you then, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Beware the full moon. <laughs> oh, God. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.